0: Hi, I'm Tanisha Collins from Future Men and Fatherhood, and you're listening to Kneel Before Pod.
1: Kneel Before Blog presents Kneel Before Pod.
0: Welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that knows frighteningly little about the multiverse, but we try anyway. I'm your host Craig, and we're finally here to talk about the much anticipated, came out a month ago as we record, Spider Man No Way Home. Joining me for this conversation, I have scoured the multiverse and I was only able to find Chris. So, hi! Hello! I only did try once, to be fair, so I've only got myself to blame. I gave up after one try.
1: <laughs> You're standing there with your magic ring thing going, give me a podcast guest, give me a podcast guest, give me a podcast guest, and you ended up with me. Sorry.
0: Well, you got to make do with what you've got. That's the way it is. <laughs> anyway, Spider-Man. We got Spider-Man No Way Home. It came out, we saw it, and maybe we have some thoughts. Let's hope so, because we're doing a podcast about it. Otherwise, we'll just wrap up now, I suppose, if we don't. But do you have any thoughts without spoiling?
1: I was anticipating this so much. There was so much hype. There was so much what's going to be in it, what's not going to be in it. All the speculation that seemed to go on for years about what was going to be going into this. And I really, really enjoyed it. I've got some bits that I've got questions about or bits I maybe don't understand, but none of it brings down the film as a whole for me so yeah loved it a lot
0: i'm kind of the same i have some reservations which we'll definitely get into but i really enjoyed it i thought it was a great celebration of 20 years of spider-man filmmaking and i'm not spoiling anything by saying that because we all know the villains came back because it was in the trailer so a great celebration of the legacy of this character in cinema and a bit of a look forward as to what's happening next maybe it's a lot of fun It has plenty of heart. It has plenty going for it. So yeah, I really liked it. I was really impressed by it. And yeah, the anticipation was through the roof. In the couple of days before we saw it, it screamed and then spoilers were apparently everywhere. My aversion to social media means I managed to dodge them, but it must have been rough. If you're one of those people that's on Twitter thousands of times a day, it must have been rough to try and dodge this.
1: Especially if it's part of your job or it's something that you need to do for anything else. If you're running... Sort of a social media thing or anything like us. For myself, it's the radio and stuff. So you're keeping an eye on different things on social media. It's very difficult. And the way analytics and everything work now on these platforms, they go, oh, he often interacts with Marvel stuff. Do you know what he would like? He would like pictures of Spider Man. Send him <laughs> pictures of Spider Man. And it's going, no, 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 no. Don't show me any of those. I had to purposefully block multiple phrases in the run up. You, know, you can do like a little seven day mute. And it was just everything I could think of to try and block any news about Spider-Man coming through. (laughs) You want to try and go in with as clean a view as possible. I'm
0: just imagining this Venn diagram. It's you, J. Jonah Jameson, and pictures of (laughs) Spider-Man is where you intersect. (laughs) At least according to social media. That's how social media views the
1: two of you. That's exactly how it works. There's me on one side and J. Jonah Jameson on the other.
0: There we go. I've trotted out the tired pictures of Spider-Man joke. And we're less than five minutes in, so stars I mean to go on, I suppose we'll have quite a few of those. You know, I'm something of a podcaster myself. There we go. I'm done. I'm done. Uh, I promise. <laughs> uh, I'm not done. So- there will be more <laughs> as we go.
1: We'll continue on.
0: Anyway, shall we launch into spoilers? Let our spoiler senses tingle so that we can dig right into
1: this. Let's go for it. Let's do it. Spider-sense. Danger!
0: Right, let's start with the man of the almost three hours... Peter Parker, the first one. Now that we're in spoilers, there's three of them. There's three Peter Parkers in this film from different Spider-Man franchises. Ha, we can say it now. We're allowed. It's over. If you're listening and didn't know that, then that's your fault. You heard the spoiler warning. Too
1: late.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So let's talk about Peter Parker 1, played by Tom Holland. We'll just go by the numbering system that they give you in the film. Peter 1 is Tom Holland. Peter 2 is... Toby Maguire and Peter 3 is Andrew Garfield. For the purposes of clarity, we will use that, if we need to. As the film begins, Peter 1, Tom Holland, is dealing with his identity being outed by Mysterio in the previous film. So it starts off with this absolute chaos of the whole city immediately believing this, which is something that I found a bit strange. So some blustering, loud guy comes on claiming he hates Peter Parker and Spider-Man for some reason and then says, I've been told his identity is this, and then everybody instantly believes it. In retrospect, that lifts me out a little bit. I was thinking about that since Far From Home, actually, because wouldn't there be a lot of speculation around that? Wouldn't there be a lot of, well, is he or isn't he? I don't believe that. I don't believe it's Spider-Man, some snotty-nosed teenager.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. There's lots of little nitpicky things and the film overall doesn't diminish because of them. But yeah, that's one of them. J. Jonah Jameson at this point is broadcasting from his basement by the looks of it, or a spare room, doing a sort of online stream. He's somehow got the budget for big screens in Times Square, but fair enough. Yeah, don't know how that happens. All the budget is the big screens in Times Square and meanwhile he's broadcasting from his spare room and everyone instantly goes, oh, well, it must be true because Mysterio said it. I guess from the point of view... Mysterio has not been outed to the general population. So it's not J. Jonah Jameson they're trusting, it's Mysterio who saved London from obliteration kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and it's not that Daily Bugle was necessarily on Times Square, it's more they were a source for whatever the news outlet was that was on the Times Square screen, they were just using uh, could the be, Daily yeah. Bugle footage. You do see that, it's like, we got this footage from controversial news website, the Daily Bugle, and then J.K. Simmons appears and mm. starts saying, Spider-Man is awful and he's also a 17 year old kid or however old he is at this point but that was a bit strange that everybody just immediately believed it and then it created this chaos. obviously they can't really go into it because they want to make a film about the multiverse they don't want to make a film about peter parker protecting his identity or fighting the fact his identity is out to everybody although that could almost be a film in itself in fact it could be a film in itself you have this film about Peter Parker trying to juggle high school with the fact that he's Spider-Man, with the fact that everybody knows that he's Spider-Man, the fact that he wants to go to college. Villains can just attack the school because they know he goes there, etc., etc. So in a smaller, quote-unquote, universe, in a more contained street-level situation, that could have been the entire film. It's almost what we were sold on when they told us that we're bringing Spider-Man into the MCUs. We're going to give you the high school superhero. We're going to give you the three years of high school across these three solo films we're doing with the guy and ultimately that's not what we got we got one film where it's juggling high school and being a nascent superhero we got another film where he goes on a world tour or a European tour anyway and then we get another film where he's at school for five minutes and then he's out in the multiverse causing havoc there a big part of me wants to see that film because that is the appeal of the character I would love to see that juggling act as he tries to maintain some kind of normality after losing that anonymity
1: i totally agree with you and i think it's probably yourself that i've had this discussion with before after the film i love the fact that they pick up directly after far from home they immediately pick up right from that moment that we saw in the post-credits sting the last time and i loved that what i wasn't as much of a fan for was the fact that they then fast forward rapidly through a lot of stuff that you're like oh actually that would have been really interesting to see i really would have liked to have seen them deal with that and instead it's like, nope, we're just going to pretend that this is flown by. I guess this could have been two films. I don't know if part of it's because they're going, oh, well, that would be such a smaller scale film and it's coming off the back of all these other ones. So we want it to be a bigger, even more spectacle, even more stuff. Spider Verse did really well. So we're going to pull all these other characters in and do all this. I would have really liked to have one film, which is him dealing with his identity being outed and how that hampers everything that he's doing. His relationships and his school year and his university and trying to be Spider-Man when everyone knows who you are. I would have been quite interested in that film with interjections of Matt Murdock in there coaching him through what he can and can't do now that his identity's out there. When your identity is anonymous, no one can sue you for damage on the property or whatever. Once you're out there, everyone can go after you for all those minimal things. And I'm pretty sure they've covered that in the comics before. I really would have liked to have seen that on screen, and then for the outcome of that film, of all that struggle that he's had for that year, to be, okay, I'm going to go to Doctor Strange. That's the reason that I've escalated it to this point, this decision that I'm making. I kind of would have liked to have seen that, and I know that maybe is not the film with the mass market appeal that they want, so I can see why they would fast forward it. Also, it might be a contractual thing, because I think Tom Holland only had one film left. If I'm right, I can't remember. You might know better than me.
0: He had this film and another team-up, I think.
1: So he had a team-up. So there was one solo Spider-Man. So they had to basically do this in one shot because otherwise their one shot might have been the film that people didn't want to see. So they've went, yeah, we're going to fast-forward that bit. We're going to go straight to the mass market bit. Go. Hit the button. And they've done it. Because part of this film, I'm sure we'll discuss it later, is a reset. So I'm thinking maybe the reason they skipped over that is the contract it's getting to the bigger stuff and maybe they couldn't find a way of making it as interesting as we are picturing in our heads maybe if we watched that film we go uh i kind of wish there was a bit more to it i
0: suppose it kind of depends what you're really looking for before i saw this film i rewatched the other two mcu ones just to familiarize myself or re-familiarize myself with them and i was quite shocked or not shocked but i'd kind of forgotten how low key homecoming is by comparison to other things the climax involves them dealing with the vulture trying to bring down a plane or steal a plane so it's not that huge in terms of stakes not compared to what's going on here or even what's going on in far from home far from home is much larger scale than that so there is an appeal to spider-man being at a certain level of dealing with Things the street level, or sometimes a little bit above the street level. He does often get in over his head and stuff. But a lot of the Spider Man stories that I really like are the ones where he has very relatable stakes. It's the, I've got a hand in my homework, but oh god, Scorpion's attacking somewhere for some reason. I have to go stop him. But my homework has to be in in like an hour. So I've only got half an hour to stop this guy before I miss the deadline for my homework. It's that kind of stuff. I remember back in Spider Man 3 when he's fighting Harry, and the stakes of that is he has to keep a hold of the ring. That he wants to use to propose (laughs) to MJ with. You end up being really invested in the fact that he needs to keep a hold of this ring. He keeps dropping it. He keeps missing it. What if he doesn't get this? Those are the kind of stakes I typically associate with Spider-Man stories. And I know that in the comics, he's escalated to the point where he was the CEO of a company and he dealt with the Spider-Verse. And he's brought down world-ending threats so many times and what have you. But those are the kind of stories that I'm always more drawn to and had that conversation with Aaron when we talked about Hawkeye, where the street-level side of things tends to be where I live with superhero stuff. I do like the large-scale stuff, but I am more drawn to the more street-level, relatable stuff. And Spider-Man is a big part of that, because I grew up reading those comics and really enjoying what they offered and how I could relate to some of the storytelling that they were doing. So when Spider-Man was coming to the MCU, I was looking forward to them doing that with him. It was like, yeah, three years of high school, he's dealing with domestic problems, relatable problems, normal problems alongside a superhero career and then you have infinity war and Endgame, and then far from home and you have all these things that he's involved in nick fury said it in far from home he said bitch you've been to space you are not small scale anymore you're stuck with this universe and you have to deal with large scale stuff now so it's an extension of that it's almost a grave they've buried themselves in in the mcu for spider-man but thinking about that early part of the film your legal stuff is not going to stick. There's no way of proving that you killed those people or you killed anybody or that you were in control of this situation in any way. The interrogation room scene is one of my favourites in the whole film, actually. I love that MJ is just sitting there and she knows exactly what's going on and she's not intimidated. And then, to contrast, you've got Ned sitting there just <laughs> confessing everything. How do you feel that Peter told MJ his secret before you? He's like, oh no, I found out first. I was actually his guy in the chair. And it's like, dude, if my guy's are guys in the chair. I get it. Like, "Oh." I really shouldn't say anymore. I'd like to have that (laughs) stricken for the record. I love that. I thought that was really good stuff. And I suppose that's maybe something they might feel more comfortable giving you in the first three episodes of a TV show before they get to the bigger stuff, as opposed to, well, we'll call it a Christmas blockbuster, (laughs) as opposed to a summer blockbuster. But yeah, as opposed to an MCU blockbuster. But yeah, that plot is something I was really interested in. And there's so much they could have done with it and made it an exciting film as well, because... The school could have effectively just been this constant battleground. And he has all these internal issues to deal with. You get shades of it in this movie with two of the teachers being on his side, and then it's the gym teacher or the coach or whatever he is who's like, Yeah, I'm, I believe Risterio, I think you're a criminal. I am not endorsing this.
1: Oh, yeah, they've built the shrine to him in the hallway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I get that. And I'd like you to say, that would have been an interesting dynamic. Okay, so if he takes down a villain. If he takes down, like we're saying, these street level people that he's dealing with on a regular basis, you get little hints at that at the beginning of Far From Home. I think they deleted some of the scenes as well where, I'm off on my school trip, everyone, so behave and don't do bad. Those people all now know who he is, all know how to find him if we're following down the line of everyone believes what's been put out in the media. Everyone knows who he is. So they can find him to take reprisals or find his friends to take reprisals. That's why the whole secret identity thing's there. And that would have been a potential interesting swap round for the next film. That would have been a change to see like i say i get exactly why they didn't focus on it maybe and they give you just enough to get a hint of how his years gone but i think it would have been easier to understand his decision and how rapidly he makes that decision if you had seen this sort of year from hell or these nine months from hell that he's gone through how all his relationships are broken down how he can't spider-man the way he used to anymore he can't act at school the way you used to anymore, everything's being seen through a lens with people watching what he's doing every single step of the way. Not being able to rely on that support network he's had because everyone's distanced themselves from him. Part of the things that are great about this trilogy of films is the trio at heart, with MJ and Ned and Peter, and how that dynamic you get little bits of it in here, but how that dynamic's impacted by, oh, suddenly one of them is a celebrity to an extent. They can't just hang about in the park anymore, or just go for a walk anymore, or just go to the cinema anymore. It's all tied up in that. It's an interesting bit, and they gloss over it quickly in order to try and get him, because there's so much packed into this film. Without being limited by spoiler warnings and everything like that, I would struggle to describe this film in a very short, succinct way, with how much goes into it.
0: Yeah. And as you say, that's not the story they're looking to tell. But one thing that strikes me about this Spider-Man trilogy is how they seem to shy away from the more difficult emotional beats. Before this film, anyway, this film has some really good emotional beats that we'll definitely get to. But Homecoming ends with May seeing him unmasked. And then you don't see that conversation. You don't see how she reacts to it and what she has to say about it and how they reach that point of understanding where she accepts that he is Spider-Man. So you don't see that. That's glossed over. It happened sometime before Infinity War. And then when you get to Far From Home, it's just part of their lives now. They just both accept it. That's one example of a conversation that you never see. The whole Uncle Ben stuff, we still don't know what happened there. And again, we'll get to what I think might have happened there or what might have not happened there. But in terms of the whole celebrity side of it, one bit that's hard to believe is... MJ is at work in her coffee shop, not her coffee shop, the coffee shop she works in. As soon as anybody found that out, there would be press everywhere all the time outside of there because they know that she's affiliated with Peter Parker and that's where she works. So she'd be constantly hounded in that way. Ned would be constantly hounded as well. Peter wouldn't be able to go there while it's quiet. It would never be quiet. People will be like, I want to go there and get served a coffee from Spider-Man's girlfriend, that kind of stuff. So it's a bit weird that everyone forgets about it and goes back to normal. And you don't really get an indication of how much time is passing. You know that a their bit is passing because it's the summer at the beginning, the far from home bit. And then by the time the film ends, you get up to Christmas. So it takes place over five months or something, four or five months. But I don't believe that the press and fans and the public would lose sight of the fact that spider-man's girlfriend works here so it doesn't make any sense that they're the only people in there at that point
1: i think that's a fair point you can either say it's a commentary on how the news cycle moves on or it's a bit of a gap so that they can try and give the characters space
0: yeah but that scene where peter goes to school that should be his life everywhere he goes he should be getting constantly hounded I suppose he's fine because he can just swing away but MJ and Ned can't it's everyone else yeah. yeah and Flash is lapping up the fact that he's associated with Spider-Man he's like buy my book I'm his best friend I'll tell you everything he's loving life the two of them are like the sus we just want to be left alone it's like well you are kind of largely being left alone really as far as we see you're not hounded on a daily
1: basis I'm just saying Flash is very enterprising managing to write an entire book across what must have been what the summer holiday the summer break before he comes back to school school if we're saying it was summer that they did the europe trip so that's when they're coming back for the new term he's managed to write publish and release a book in the meantime
0: it's probably ghostwritten and full of pictures there's no substance there <laughs> no one cares about flashy story and it's all flies anyway because they weren't friends although they were close enough for peter to have his phone number That's a bit
1: weird. I think they're close enough. They've been away on those trips and done different bits and pieces. I imagine that he does have their number.
0: It's neither here nor there. It's a proper nitpick. And the film that we described there, the one that's about Peter adjusting to his identity being outed, isn't the film that we got. And I'm not saying the film we got is bad. I'm not saying that at all. Far from it. I'm just saying that it would have been very interesting to see that explored because High School isn't a feature in this film whatsoever. There's one scene where he's at this... Well, technically two scenes, but one of them is... Not a school scene. There's one scene where he goes to school and all you see him is enter the building. Yeah. But yeah, as we said, or as you said, he makes a decision to go to Doctor Strange because he applies for college. All these rejection letters come through. All three of them get rejected from MIT, which is another thing I didn't buy into because all I would do is contact Pepper Potts and say, since it was your drones that ruined my life, the Stark drones, could you maybe put in a good word and get me in here? Maybe. Pepper, thanks. Thanks. Remember I was there when Tony died, gonna do a guy a solid here. He forgets that he has these resources weirdly.
1: He suddenly remembers Doctor Strange. Maybe he's tried Pepper Potts in the news they show the news clip and they show that Stark Industries is basically getting stripped down for parts on the back of everything that happened in London. Whatever's happened to Stark Industries in the meantime, after their killer drone army decided to destroy different parts of europe (laughs) i don't know it might be that pepper Potts doesn't have the influence that she did or she's trying to keep herself out of it or there's people getting in the way you can kind of do that but i would like to have seen him try there's a big point in here that gets played as a joke peter didn't think of asking the university to reconsider he didn't contact any of them and say oh don't knock my friends back because of what i've done and you do realize that what i'm doing is saving people and saving lives and doing all this the fact that the news is saying blah 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 don't take that into account doesn't speak to any of them doesn't ask any of them to reconsider is ultimately responsible for everything that happens after that point including me's death if you decided to have that conversation before going to dr strange your aunt is still alive everyone can remember your name everyone knows who you are You've still got the consequences of the fact that people know that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. There's a big weight on Peter at the end of all this because it's that one omission that causes everything.
0: Yeah, and I'm struggling to accept the notion that no university would want Spider-Man as part of their student body. Especially MIT, right? This guy invented web fluid that is stronger than concrete this young kid did this we surely want him as part of this we want the association to be there
1: and you've seen how gifted he is through the films as well including this one when he's working away on all these different bits and pieces he knows his stuff so it's not the case that he's fluked his way through everything he does know what he's doing but i guess that side of we don't want the bad pr if something goes wrong it's one of our students doing it kind of thing it's there or whatever potential next thing happens we're going to be getting told one of our students did it rather than being able to sit back and say oh well we told them no i can get that angle of it And the fact that he went and he tried to get them to reconsider for Ned and MJ, not necessarily for himself, I thought was a good, even if you don't let me in, reconsider them because it's not their fault. None of it's them. None of it's on them. They've just known my secret. That's it. I get what you're saying. There's Pepper Pots, and there's all these other people that he's been around that he could contact. You must know someone in power that can try and clear my name or solve this for me. And maybe if you'd got the film that we were talking about, this imaginary film that we've created that we've been talking about more <laughs> than the the one that we saw... In the imaginary film that we've created, maybe you would get more of that. Maybe that's where all those blanks would be filled in. What's happened to Stark Industries in the meantime? Are people picking up his calls and just saying there's nothing they can do? Is everyone now ghosting him when he tries to call them because they don't want to stick their neb in? Is just the world in utter chaos? What's going on? No one's returning his calls? Or the people that do are not capable? I don't know. Bruce Banner would have contacts in the science community. I mean, they have pictures of him on the wall of science labs. Hank Pym, if you go via Scott, in the school, they've got a mural with them on the wall. (laughs) So he's got all those contacts. He's got those people. So, yeah, like I say, it's being very, very picky. And there's tons of stuff like that through the film. The thing is, I I enjoyed what we actually got, so I'm more forgiving than I would normally be. How often we've talked about CW shows or other bits where the science or the logic behind the entire thing just falls to pieces... But because I'm having such a bad time watching it, I will absolutely lay into them for it. Whereas with this, because I was having such a good time watching it, I'm more forgiving.
0: Could he not ask Doctor Strange to fight his coroner with the admissions board? He's a world-renowned surgeon, or he was. You don't know what his actual reputation is at this point, but he was one of the greats, wasn't he? He's the guy you bring in for these weird operations because he knows his stuff. He's the golden boy in this scenario. So he goes to Strange to ask for a letter of recommendation
1: rather than a spell. Do you know someone at the university? As supporting letters go, having Stephen Strange, Bruce Banner and Hank Pym on there, that's not a bad list. of supporting references and if you throw in pepper pots in there as well that's a good support base i've got to say i wouldn't (laughs) mind that as a set of supporting references
0: it's even better than gwen stacy and the amazing spider-man with her letter of recommendation from dr connor's who became a giant lizard (laughs) that would certainly let you stand out from the crowd but maybe for the wrong reasons. But yeah, there's plenty of little things they could have addressed here. For example, the whole legal defence side of things. I imagine Matt Murdock, Matt Murdock's in this film, the Daredevil from the Netflix show, he's in this film in one scene. It's so cool. And the audience that we saw went absolutely nuts when he appeared. (laughs) Just for a few seconds. It's, oh my God, it's him! It's a fan audience because it's opening night and yeah, it was great. But you imagine one of the defences he gave was, let's look at the video that Quentin Beck posted before his death. You'll notice he's not wearing his Mysterio costume. He's wearing a motion capture suit. You don't find that a little bit suspicious? Blatantly wearing a mocap suit. (laughs) (laughs) So that would be one of the arguments. And then the bit where Peter says, contact Nick Fury, he'll clear up. It's like Nick Fury's been off planet for a year. How would this guy know that? And if it's common knowledge, why is there a scroll cutting about pretending to be Nick Fury? Surely the point of that is so that nobody knows that Nick Fury's off planet. What's the point in having someone cover for you by looking like you if everybody knows you're not there?
1: Nitpick. Good point. Well made. <laughs>
0: Why does this guy know, this government stooge guy, right, who's just doing some questioning or whatever? So it's common enough knowledge, so why do you need a -a all? Never mind.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was a Nick pick rather than a A Nick Nick pick.
0: pick. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Contact Nick Furious. I I did. He won't answer my calls.
1: That's more likely. Yeah, no one has his number. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We don't know which of his secret bases he's in today. (laughs) Yeah,
0: he's, he's in one of them. He's got a lot of them. There's the secret bases we know about, and then there's the ones that we don't know about. And... There's more of the other ones, I would imagine. But let's get into the film we do get. You see a bit of the high school stuff, or him going to high school once, and then because MJ didn't take down the Halloween decorations because she didn't think it was her job, Peter gets the idea to just go to Doctor Strange and say, can you help me out here? And Strange is dealing with a situation because the Sanctum is, for some reason, covered in snow. Something about one of their little portal doors been been maintained properly and a blizzard <laughs> blew through and covered the place in snow, which is quite funny. It turns out Wong is a Sorcerer Supreme on a technicality because Strange wasn't there for five years. I like that detail. I just like anything to do with Wong.
1: He's great in this film. We don't have liability insurance. Please try not to slip. Wong is just fantastic. I love that character. It's done so well. I do like the fact that he's now Sorcerer Supreme on a technicality. It sort of explains spoilers for shang shi i guess the fact that he's part of the consulting round table at the end of that as well yeah. it sort of explains it because he is the sorcerer supreme at that point
0: it doesn't explain how he has time to uh, hustle with it, the it, abomination it, it, in
1: cage fights
0: <laughs> <laughs> i guess he's like i'm the sorcerer supreme i can do whatever i want dr strange can do whatever
1: <laughs> what i do in my free time is my own business yeah
0: so peter wants to see if strange can do anything turns out there's a memory spell where they can brainwash the entire world to forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. There's all sorts of alternatives that Peter could have asked for. Let the world forget about that video they saw of Mysterio, for example. Let the world forget about Mysterio. That would have been possibly less damaging, but then you would have had no film. So, fair enough. It's this memory erasing spell, which raises an interesting moral question because Peter is essentially asking Doctor Strange... Actually, Strange suggests it peter doesn't ask directly for it but strange suggests the spell is possible and it's what we're going to do is we're going to brainwash the entire world without their consent that's a little bit concerning (laughs) as a moral choice
1: yeah because peter's original ask is you're able to manipulate time can you make it that my identity was never revealed and then it's doctor strange that comes up with the solution of instead we'll just make everyone forget it's a bold move and Doctor Strange only really calls it out after the spell goes wrong. What a time to question him now. You don't sit him in an armchair like you did before, give him a hot cocoa instead of a beer maybe, and sit there and go, so explain what's happened. I've had all these rejection letters. Oh, have you called them to ask them to reconsider? Do you want me to call them and ask them to reconsider? None of that. Just goes straight to the, yeah, let's go downstairs and do the memory erasey thing. And it's only partway through the spell that he goes, oh, by the way, it's been nice knowing you, Peter, because I'm going to forget who you are. I'm going to forget you're Spider-Man. Anyway, bye. (laughs) He's like, oh, no, hang on. Not you. How about everyone that did know before does still know, but everyone that knows now didn't know. (laughs) Just starts tweaking it. Listen, they're working towards what they're wanting to do. The film has an outcome that it wants to happen and they're going for it. So, you've got to forgive it for some of it. I did like the idea that both of them hadn't quite thought it through. Doctor Strange is furious at the end that he didn't ask the right questions up front. He's jumped and just assumed that Peter would have done everything that he would have done instead of thinking, maybe he's just not thought it through. Let's sit you down and explain the whole thing. Let's run through exactly what you want to happen with this spell, okay? I'll write it on a post-it note so that I'm thinking exactly what you want at the time when the spell happens.
0: But you can still get to where the film gets to using that more logical, professional way that you've described. So Strange says, we have a spell that allows us to remove one fact from everyone's minds on a global scale. It doesn't work off-planet, but who cares if Peter Quill still remembers that you're Spider-Man. one gives a crap. We're not worried about people off-world here, it's just people on Earth. It can be
1: a problem. The people on the International Space Station come back to Earth and go, so what about that kid being (laughs) Spider-Man, by the way? (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Who'd have fought it? (laughs) Or whatever other bases that they have in space in this universe. Yeah, exactly. Someone doing time on a Stark Space Station, because there's bound to be a Stark Space Station, right? There's bound to be. We've never seen it,
1: but it's probably there. You saw it in Infinity War, and I guess that's where all the drones come from. They all come from up in space, don't they?
0: Yeah, but that's just a big satellite rather than actually a manned space station but never mind stark's probably built one at some point and there was going to be an avengers hq at some point but then he died and there's no avengers anymore but never mind but yeah so strange could have just sat down with peter and said okay the spell plays out like this what happens is everyone forgets that you are spider-man including me everybody on a global scale forgets and peter's like well i don't like that what about ned and mj and happy and may and well, that's about it. Anybody that's close to me that knows my secret, I'm happy knowing my secret. Can we alter it so that they remember who I am? And Strange is like, no, we'd rather not. We don't know what happens if we tamper with a spell. The catch-all is the best way it will work. It's dangerous as often as it is. And then Peter gives them the puppy dog eyes. And Strange is like, right, fine, I'll give it a go. And then it goes wrong because he gave that a go. And Wong's away. Wong's like, just don't include me in this. I'll forget about it anyway (laughs) after you've done it. So it's fine. I just have to deny all knowledge until I forget. So I'll see you later. I'm off to fight the abomination and make some cash out of it. So they could have had that conversation. They could have had that reasonable, non-Doctor Strange being reckless conversation. And they could have still got to the point where it goes horribly wrong. Although you don't really get to the point where Strange is annoyed at Peter for ruining the spell he does blame him for that because he recklessly butts in as a teenager would and be like but i didn't realize what i was getting myself into here and now i want to change and it would alter the film slightly but not by much
1: it does lead to one of my favorite running bits for this film though we fought Thanos together call me stephen and by the end of this it's call me sir <laughs> <laughs> he's reduced it back down again i love it it was one of my favourite little running things and then the touching moment, fast-forwarding right to the end for that running bit. It was just a nice little through line of how the relationship is going through the film. You just check in and see which version of his name he's allowed to use at that time.
0: Yeah, well the consent bit comes up later anyway, which we'll definitely discuss because that ends up being a, a missed opportunity by the end of it. But yeah, the spell goes wrong. It doesn't seem to be too bad at first until Dr. Otto Octavius himself, Alfred Molina, shows up on the bridge and attacks. Why he shows up on that bridge, we don't know. He just does. And he's saying, where's my machine? What have you done with my machine? Why are you wearing that weird armour suit thing? What's going on? Where am I? Who are you? I like that first Doc Ock scene, although I did have some reservations about how heavy the stuff he was throwing was. Those big concrete, whatever they are, those concrete pipe type things he's chucking at Peter There doesn't seem to be any weight to them in that sequence, so I was lifted out a bit from that. I was like, how strong are those tentacles? Why is he using them for whatever experiment he was trying to do if they can
1: lift this stuff with no effort? Sell those. That was one of the elements of that film, though, wasn't it? It was... Otto, you seem to have created something absolutely amazing. I know you want the power of the sun in the palm of your hand and everything, but you've created amazing mechanical arms that everyone is going to want to buy. Be it in production, military, or anything, they're going to want a set of mechanical arms, Otto. You've made your career, mate. You don't need to solve the world's energy crisis. You've just made bank for the rest of your life. I didn't quite... Pick up on that. I would need to watch it again and try and see how it goes. But there's always been a slight element with those arms because if he's not being supported by the bottom two arms, it's his body holding up the concrete blocks and it's all the supporting weight in the middle. But it's all magic made up technology so i suppose they can make them as strong and as weak as they like and then peter himself is able to pick up stuff like that no problem so that's why it could all end up looking a bit there's no stakes to this that's flying about it's more everyone else that's around that the stakes are kind of it i was like you i really enjoyed that first appearance i would have loved for that first appearance we were talking about sort of spoilers and bits earlier on I would have loved for that first appearance to have been a complete surprise and a shock to me, but it was the fact that once you were on the flyover section, like, ah, I've seen this bit in the trailer, Octavius is about (laughs) to pop up out of nowhere and interrupt his day. I did like the fact that that was like the turning point for the MIT, I was going to say recruiter, and that's the wrong word admissions court you know the admissions person for mit she's
0: important she has some sway we'll just put it that way
1: yeah she has some sway she's the admissions person she's the head of that year or whatever and she gets swayed at that point when she sees actually he's putting his life at risk doing all this he's saving all these people for no reward whatsoever actually it is worth me going back and saying what an amazing thing he's doing with this new set of eyes the fact that i was the person in danger in this case he deserves to get in his friends deserve to get in she goes with that i liked that that proved that that was a turning point in that i liked her turning on octavius as well just hurling abuse at him as she disappears off (laughs) made me laugh
0: meanwhile everyone else on the bridge is drafting their lawsuit letters to peter parker because they blame him for the destruction of their cars
1: yeah he's getting third party claims everywhere is peter parker for all that and the highways agency is getting in touch for all the bridge repairs that they're gonna have to do because he <laughs> didn't stop doc ock on time
0: yeah he didn't do it cleanly enough he's gonna need matt murdoch again it's like matt uh, i got involved in something i need your help here what was i supposed to do well from a legal point of view you should have just left and did nothing
1: <laughs> yeah you go away <laughs> <laughs> you run In the opposite direction and leave local law enforcement to deal with the madman (laughs) with the tentacles. That's what you do.
0: Have you thought about becoming a different superhero? (laughs) Yeah, just changing
1: your name. Change your identity.
0: Make a new costume. Different colour scheme. Call yourself something else. No one will know it's you. Job done. Identity protected. Call yourself Night Monkey like you did in the last film. Alright, it sucks, but it's better than everyone knowing who spider-man is
1: i think i completely deviated us off topic there so sorry <laughs> well i did it first by talking about
0: the minutia of these things we used to talk about that kind of stuff on arrow where's oliver queen getting his money from this season he has no job we used to do that kind of as stuff. as i
1: said that's the discussion that happens on the one where you're really not having a good time we can laugh and we can joke about it on this one because we had a good time with the film and other stuff when i start picking about stuff like that it's because i'm not enjoying it <laughs>
0: Oh, Arrow, we were having a laugh at it because we were enjoying it at the same yeah. time, but yeah. Anyway, we're not talking about Arrow, we're talking about Spider-Man. But yeah, the bridge fight was really cool. It was good seeing out from Molina back. I liked his sneer and how just annoyed he was. He just seemed very, very angry and annoyed. So I like the way he was stopped with the nanotech glomming onto the tentacles and then Peter getting a Bluetooth connection from his suit so he can control them. That was really fun. I'm in charge now. I'm controlling you. And he's just trying to feebly punch him with his human hand and can't even reach him. I thought that was a really good way of ending the fight.
1: It was a good way of wrapping up the fight. Like you say, I loved the fact that it was like this automated thing that was built into the suit, where it was just the voice going, "You device paired. (laughs) It's like suddenly he's just got control of all the arms. Yes, it was a good way of doing it. It was just a nice tidy way to finish it without him having to knock octavius unconscious or something i guess the only other way is you have dr strange jump in at that point and take him
0: yeah it seemed like it was going to happen in about 30 seconds anyway either way i suppose but it stops him from messing about with his tentacles and it keeps him sedate until they fix him later on so it was quite a neat way of stopping him and then bringing osborne in at the last second as well the bomb and the laugh and then you get to see the old costume that was a really cool intro
1: Yeah, that was a really neat move. Like I say, with some of these things, I'm like, would I have been even more excited? The ones that got the cheer in our screening, one of the most energetic film screenings that I've been into in a long while with the audience getting right into it, was all the stuff that hadn't been confirmed in a trailer. There wasn't a big thing with Octavius appearing or Goblin appearing. It was Matt Murdock appearing for that short scene. Got a big cheer. It was all the unconfirmed stuff that hadn't been officially announced in a trailer that got the, the biggest... Thing. And I, I would just love to have had that moment where all that happens on screen and folk just losing their mind. Tom Holland said that Kevin Feige
0: wanted the marketing to essentially be, let's make it look like it's civil war between Peter Parker and Doctor Strange. They're fighting over something, some kind of ideological problem that they have different views on. They're fighting over it. That's what he wanted to make the film marketing look like so that we would be surprised by the resurgence of Doc hawk and whatever although ultimately we wouldn't be because all that stuff would leak wouldn't it so we'd know about it ahead of time either way and i think sony wanted the marketing to be everything we want to market three spider-men all the villains all the stuff put matt murdoch in one of the trailers why not screw it and they had to reach a bit of a compromise which is we can reveal the villains but we won't reveal the other stuff and we'll get on to this anti-spoiler culture that we seem to be in around big films at this point we'll definitely get into that but what you're talking about is essentially what kevin feige wanted and that's what i would have preferred as well because i really hate going to see films like this on this scale and sitting down feel like i know everything already we didn't get that with endgame we didn't get portals in the trailer we didn't even get the fact that time travel was in the movie in the trailer we went into endgame knowing as little as humanly possible which was great we'd heard rumors about time travel and what have you but we had nothing confirmed And they weren't really circulating in the same way. So I did end up being very surprised by Endgame. I wouldn't say that the fact that they travel through time surprised me in any way. But throughout, it was, I have no idea what's coming next. Whereas in this, I was kind of waiting for the stuff that I knew was coming that
1: hadn't been confirmed yet. It was one of the first official cast announcements with Jamie Foxx. Yeah. That was an official cast announcement that came out way ahead of everything else. So as soon as they announced, oh, Jamie Foxx is going to be in this, by the way. Everyone turned around and went, Oh, it's a multiverse thing. I wonder what other villains are going to pull in. <laughs> immediately because yeah if you're getting this guy back in and he's going to be playing the same character he's played before that's multiverse confirmed question mark as soon as all that started happening so it was like it's going to be you've got dr strange you've got peter parker you've got jamie fox okay i can kind of see where this is going
0: <laughs> oh yeah and we have a dr strange movie coming out called and the multiverse of madness so multiverse of madness. <laughs> let's join the dots here let's make that easy connection. it
1: doesn't take much of a super sleuth to go and figure the rest of it out if they had managed to keep that secret then i don't think they would have needed to announce the rest and i don't know what the contractual thing was but maybe we can cover that when we talk about jamie fox and the electro
0: and then you had alfred molina just telling everything about his involvement in the film I'm a 60 year old actor I don't give a crap, I'm just going to tell you everything, hey I'm back, I'm Doc Ock they're doing the tentacles, they're de-aging me I get to meet Peter Parker, it's all happening. I don't know if that interview just got away from Marvel at that point because they didn't want Alfred Molina to say it but like I say he's a 60 year old old man who doesn't give a crap about this stuff anymore, he's just, yeah I'm in this film and this is who I'm playing and I'm coming back to this role and they're de-aging me and I don't actually ever have to walk because they just cgi the tentacles to make me walk so i'm just there saying stuff it's great that's been most of it in the cell just standing around saying stuff
1: yeah well the thing is the second raimi film when he was in that it wasn't like they were going oh by the way everything's got to be secret Uh, don't tell anyone no one's wanting any spoilers or any stuff because it was kind of pre that culture and i don't think there's any other films that molina's been in where it's like oh by the way don't mention the fact that you're in the film because normally it's the opposite it's tell everyone you can that you're in this film mention it in interviews that even aren't about this film tell everyone to see this film thanks so it's kind of the inverse now where it's like keep it all a secret don't tell anyone don't mention a thing if anyone asks make up lies say it's photoshop
0: (laughs) (laughs) poor andrew garfield Maybe not. Poor Andrew Garfield. We'll get to it. But yeah, the villains were all here, and it was great to see them again. I do take Isaac's point. It's not just Isaac's point. I do agree with him, but it's a point he keeps bringing up. It's that I don't want Alfred Molina's Doc Ock again. I want Tom Holland's adversary Doc Ock, I want that version, I want a new version of the Green Goblin, I want a new version of these other characters, and this film all but confirms that we'll never get that in the MCU, at least not for a while. Norman Osborn says Oscorp doesn't exist, so if Norman Osborn exists, he's not remarkable in the way that his Norman Osborn is, he's not a titan of industry, so yeah... I mean you can still have goblins right it's all tech based and there's innumerable characters that have been various goblins over the years but at the same time we're not really going to get new versions of these classic characters unless they introduce an Octavius in this universe who looks different and Peter can be like I met one of you before.
1: There's definitely ways they can do it and they can get around it. I do think it's kind of a shame that they're in a way knocking all these villains out that they can't bring back. I get that they're iconic in the way that they've been played. William Dafoe, for example, just knocks it out of the park in this. I know that we've not really got on to him, though, but he just knocks it out of the park in his performance of Norman Osborne in this. So good. So well done. That you sit there and go, who would want to come round on the back of that and try and go, oh, by the way, I'm the MCU's Norman Osborne now. After William Dafoe did that performance, I'm now going to come in and try and replicate it. You just wouldn't. You can get round it. You can go, there is no Oscorp because the company hasn't been rebranded as Oscorp yet. Norman Osborne is on a board, he's high up in a board, but he's not taken over the company yet. He's not rebranded it and put his name all over it yet, or he's not merged the two companies together, the remnants of Stark Industries and the bits that were something else and turned it into Oscorp. So you can kind of have that. Maybe he wouldn't live in the same house. That works that's that's still a thing with doc ock spider verse it was olivia octavius am i getting that right yeah that's right it was liv you could do that in the mcu if you wanted to they've not said that doc ock went out hunting for himself in this timeline i think it would be very odd to have a doppelganger walking about and making the news, no doubt. Well, in fact, the helicopters and everyone were there watching it. And for that to go, oh, by the way, this was Otto Octavius, and an actual Otto Octavius to be watching it and going, do you know what would be a great idea? tentacle arms <laughs> I'm Gonna get myself some tentacle arms because that guy looks badass i'm gonna get myself some of that action if he can make it i can make it with the same man or he gets contacted by otto in his little alone time at the part of this film i don't know i would like to see the mcu's version of these i think we're probably not gonna get it it'll be interesting to see what villains or what villain they try and pull for Peter next, because a lot of what they seem to be doing seems to be set in other places. Like Tom Hardy's Venom, for example, and Mobius, they've not quite Morbius. Morbius, sorry. Mobius? Morbius. Mobius is Owen Wilson. <laughs> in Owen Wilson <laughs> yeah he's
0: yeah. got to fight Owen Wilson <laughs> in the next film for some reason
1: it's also the player v environment group in Elite I'm just getting okay. confused with all my stuff
0: and Craven uh, the Hunter is going to be a separate continuity as well
1: now I might be remembering this totally wrong but wasn't Craven meant to be the villain of this film when they were originally pitching what the third Tom Holland film was going to be was it not meant to be Craven
0: if they couldn't get the multiverse idea off the ground because of actors not wanting to come back and stuff they were reportedly going to do a Craven movie yeah
1: See, I just think it's an odd one to try and pair with the MCU and with Tom Holland's interpretation. That's what I find so jarring about when they say, oh, we're going to do Venom or we're going to do a vampire or we're going to do Kraven. You go, really? Is that going to work? I think they did a good job with Vulture and Mysterio as well. I think they did really, really well. So I'd be interested to have seen their take. But I guess if you can get those original villains back, then why wouldn't you but i think the ones that i enjoyed seeing most were doc ock and norman osborne
0: craven was thrown around as a villain idea for black panther at one point apparently like in early stages Mm. they suggested could we use craven we've got spider-man so can we have craven for this movie and then i suppose he would have just turned up in a spider-man movie at some point maybe i mean there's still plenty of villains spider-man has no shortage of villains outside of batman he has the most memorable rogues gallery of anybody really so there's no shortage we haven't done scorpion yet scorpion could be next he was even in the first film or mac gargan was so there's no reason why they couldn't give him the tech suit but yeah the multiverse thing does rob us of some opportunities to see different takes on these villains and yeah i see what you mean with the whole we don't even want to touch the alfred molina and willem defoe's of the world but you don't have to it's a different take the amazing spider-man had a norman osborne he was only in it to die but He was there and he was supposed to come back. He was supposed to get revived at some point, but that was Chris Cooper playing him. You don't really get a sense of his character in that film, but I don't know what it would have been. It would have had to be a different take, as with Doc Ock as well. With Doc Ock, you could probably do a more comic book version of him where he's just an awful person. Because in the comics, Doc Ock is not a nice guy at all, whereas Alfred Molina's Doc Ock is, which makes it difficult to justify him being a villain in this film in a way. So you have to regress him to the point where he was in Spider-Man 2. He gets plucked out. Just prior to the climax of that film, as he says, then they cure him, and he's just a nice guy after that. They do try and fool you into thinking maybe he's gone back to his old ways when he escapes after the condo fight, and then he shows up at the end and he just helps the Spider-Man, which I thought was an obvious twist because I kind of expected it to happen. I was like, Doc Ock's not a bad guy. So I was okay with that. And the Alfred Molina version is, as I say, very different to the comic version, but iconic and historic in terms of villains and superhero movies. Everybody still talks about how he's one of the best. Spider-Man 2 is still up there on a lot of people's lists as being the best superhero movie ever made or one of. And I would agree with that. I think it's still great. It still really holds up from a storytelling point of view. So yeah, having Alfred Molina back was exciting for me and I think he did a great job in this film. It is weird how, the, not the first half, but that point where he appears up until the condo fight, he's quite prominent, and then he just disappears completely after that. And they don't really come back to him other than a quick button after he shows up in the climactic
1: fight. I agree with you on that. And I think it's just because this film is already very, 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 very long. And it wouldn't surprise me if there's some stuff on the cutting room floor of what Doc Ock does or the conversations that are had between the villains to decide what they're going to do. Peter pulls them out by putting the video up there and calling Jameson and going, oh, look where I am, by the way, as like a massive lure. Up until that point, what were they deciding? Because some of them were on the fence still they weren't exactly all like yeah oh by the way we're just gonna go and run rampant here now that's the outcome that's gonna work here is us running riot they all disappear for a big chunk while we have multiple peters sorting stuff out they don't start causing chaos elsewhere or trying to do anything to revert they just vanish and i don't even know if octavius was with them Because he kind of runs off. He doesn't really take part in the fight to any extent. He breaks out through the window, climbs across the building and he's gone. He doesn't participate in that fight in the apartment. I think he protects himself from getting hit by something and then he's gone. So it's not even like he helped them out. He might not even have spent time with him after that. You don't see that? I was like you. There was no surprise in him coming back because he's the one that the treatment successfully worked on. The chips has been replaced. He's in full control. He's not hearing the arms telling him what to do anymore or influencing his decisions. So I wasn't shocked for him to appear i would have been more shocked if he had been on the side of the villains for the whole thing that would have been more of a surprise for me
0: you were supposed to believe that electro fried the chip again because he says i liked you the way you were before Ah. and he electrocutes him and then you don't see what the consequence of that is so i think the film wants you to think that that's what's happened i didn't
1: Oh, see i didn't even click that yeah i didn't think that was
0: going to happen for a second but they set it up as a possibility i suppose which is fine but yeah i agree with you that they should have Or could have shown the villains off somewhere. You could have had Osborne holding court, or Goblin, the two personas, holding court and saying, we can rule this world, we're here now, we don't have to go back, we just have to take care of Spider-Man. And they all have different views on it, I suppose. You could have Octavius there playing the bad guy, pretending to go along with it so that he can figure out what the plan is and wait for his minute to betray them. I suppose you could hint at the fact that he's not on Osborne's side at that point and then still have that bluff play out as it did. But I would have really liked to see that scene of Osborne just, I'm going to rule this world with my strength and intelligence and all of our abilities, we're unstoppable, blah, blah, blah. What I didn't understand was Sandman going along with the villains at that point because he's not a bad guy. Spider-Man 3 establishes at the end that he's not a bad guy, he just wants to help his daughter. And then in this film, he's introduced helping Peter one fight Electro and then he just goes along with the villains and he's fighting the spider Man at the end for some reason. There's no indication of
1: why he decided to switch sides. I'm with you, I I don't understand the Sandman thing. If that is just like, yeah, I'm going to help you out with that now because, I don't know, to even out the odds to make the fight with more steak, I don't know. In that case, just pull in a Sandman who is a villain. Don't pull in the already established one who's nice and calm by the end of the film. Pull in a completely different one who knows... Uh, Peter Parker's identity (laughs) do that. I guess it's so that there's another one that's more passive so that they can get them assembled quicker. It's the same reason I find it very weird that Sandman and Electro just happen to be hanging about in the same place.
0: Sandman seemed like an idiot in this film, really, as opposed to his characterisation in Spider-Man 3. He showed up and he's like, you're not the Peter Parker I know, I don't trust you, And, and then Later on, he's like, Yeah, okay, the villains have got me. I might as well team up with them. Why not? I don't care anymore. And then he gets cured and whatever. It's also weird that him and Reese are only there in a voice capacity. And when they get cured, it's just reused footage from the films that they were in. They're the villains that you're not supposed to think too much about, I suppose. They're just there to make up the numbers.
1: They are. And to this film's credit, it was filmed during a pandemic. Yeah. So. The fact that they've gone, do you know what, we're not going to grab these people and put them into a studio for no good reason when we're going to use a scene of them or a shot of them. The most we're going to do is send them to Pinewood or somewhere and get them to film against a green screen for a couple of minutes. In that case, would you just turn around and go, do you know what, I'm going to do it in my voice and reuse footage. Why go through all that for a few seconds of film?
0: The lizard just CGI the whole film. Sandman will keep him in a sand form. Problem solved. Yep, He's just shedding everywhere. It's fine. <laughs> he gets himself all over the couch, which ends up not being a problem because the place gets trashed anyway.
1: It doesn't matter. Hey, we all shed all the time.
0: That is true. But they're just there to make up the numbers, so there isn't too much to their characterization. In fact, they almost parody Connors in a way. Not almost, they actually do. So that bit where it's, have you had a makeover? I could give you a makeover. It's like, what, well, let me guess, into a lizard? And he's like, yep, yeah, that's my thing. That's what I do. I turn people into lizards. I'm not a tragic genius. <laughs> I'm a guy that turns people into lizards. That's all I
1: do. It's all I'm known for. Do you know what would make you better? Don't say lizard lizard (laughs) okay
0: what's your obsession with lizards lizards are rubbish if it's a cold day you're useless in fact this film is set during the winter he
1: should have been useless i did like when the cut to lizard just hanging in the back of the van outside the apartment it did kind of make me think of suicide squad and king shark a little bit everyone's inside the apartment getting their science on and everything meanwhile lizard is just hanging out in the back of the feast van
0: yeah also why would he do that that doesn't make any sense Why would he want to do that? And why would Peter suddenly decide, yeah, that's fine. I'm sure he can be trusted out there.
1: (laughs) There's no way this could possibly go wrong.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's no way any of this can go wrong. But back to Peter. He fights these villains and he comes to the realisation that some of them died fighting Spider-Man. Doc Ock died fighting Spider-Man. Norman Osborn died fighting Spider-Man. Electro maybe died fighting Spider-Man. There's a question mark over that. It certainly appears that he dies in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, but he talks about being in the grid absorbing energy or something. So I guess he just changed rather than was killed. But he's back anyway. And he gets his body back and he looks like Jamie Foxx and he's all cool and ripped and stuff. So he's nothing like he was in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Jamie Foxx got to play himself again, I guess. He got to play a more acceptable version of Electro according to him. Apparently that was his stipulation for being in this. Yeah, I don't want to be the lame duck I was in the other one. I want to be cool. So they let him be cool
1: yeah i'm not wanting to spend hours getting done in blue makeup i imagine was another part of that as well what's the point of me being in this if you're going to cover me in blue paint <laughs> i don't mind the excuse for it is the electricity is different over here so now i I look like this but it's, it's a personality transplant as much as it's a look it's a completely different personality to the one that was on the screen in the amazing spider-man you kind of look you go really is it just the electricity is different okay fine i guess the writers had to come up with something when you made your demand that you didn't want to be the same as you were in the previous one you're looking and you're like oh what villains are we going to pull over oh well i guess jamie fox did that one so we'll ask jamie fox to come over maybe
0: we'll just get them all
1: we'll just get all the ones we've done let's just do that that'll cover it Except
0: Paul Giamatti, because all we need to do to fix him is unplug his stupid rhino suit.
1: (laughs) Apart from Paul Giamatti. We we can make a joke reference to it, but we're not pulling him over. (laughs) I think he appears in the clouds at the end. There's kind of like a comic accurate rhino suit or something in the clouds at the end, isn't there? Yeah, there's a rhino shape. It's like, these are our on-screen villains that we've had, so pull him in. In he comes. Electro was alright in this, but he wasn't one of the main ones. Like you say, you're sitting there with all Octavius and the Green Goblin being played so well, it's difficult for your character to then shine in amongst all that, especially when it's Electro. Yeah. So (laughs) there's a bit of that going on. I
0: loved when they introduced him and the brief stab of dubstep when he appeared. I was
1: yeah, it's him. He's back. Because I quite liked
0: that detail of the Amazing Spider-Man movies, actually, or in the Amazing Spider-Man 2, the, the score surrounding Electro, the dubstep, the mm. ele- electrical score. I thought it was really cool. So it was nice to get a little stab of that just to send you that audio signal. This is that guy that you knew. He's here and he's back. And do you care? Mm. Well, that's up to you, I suppose. <laughs> but the whole <laughs> point is these villains, if they're returned back to where they came from, and when they came from, because they're getting plucked out at different points in their timeline. At the end of their timeline, really, they're getting sent back to die. And Peter is not okay with that, because he's a good person. Whereas Doctor Strange has the bigger multiversal picture in mind. He says their death means more than their life. And was it the grand calculus of the multiverse? I think the line is. Something like that. He says that, and Peter is thinking more granular. He's thinking, these are people, and they need a second chance, and... We can protect them here. And that's the lesson that May gives them. And I do love that scene where they find Osborne at the feast shelter. He has no idea where he is. He has no idea what's going on. He's terrified. The goblin persona has disappeared for now. He's rejected it. And he just wants to help. And he wants to be helped. And Peter thinks these people, they're victims of circumstance. And they don't deserve to die for this. Just because they died before doesn't mean they need to die now. Whereas Strange is like, nope, another universe, not our problem. And he's... Subscribe to that idea at first it's May that tells him no these people need help you can help them and you should help them and I love how that sets up that conflict between him and Strange it is that morality ideological based conflict that they have over this relatively simple issue of Strange just really not caring about these people not seeing them as people and Peter does and he wants to help them and he wants to find a way to do that and then to do that he has to get strange out of the picture which was a really great touch
1: i did like that conflict and another element to the reason that peter makes the decision that he does is he has just spent six months five months however long we're saying part of a year being accused of killing off A villain of taking someone out now that has taken its toll over that time does he want to then also think that he's responsible for the death of all these people that he's met as well because up until that point norman osborne has not been threatening to him at all It's seen very meek
0: other than the bomb he threw at him of course
1: other than the bomb early on (laughs) which isn't him which is the other you know what i mean octavius with the arms deactivated is just kind of being played for laughs at that particular point in the film sandman has nothing against him whatsoever at that point in the film. Electro is kind of quipping from a corner. The
0: lizard's just chilling.
1: The lizard just wants to turn everyone into a lizard, which is fine. So at that point, being told, oh, by the way, we're going to hit this button, they all go back, they all die as they're supposed to. There we go. Done. Or some of them do anyway. Or some of them do. They're all going back to their place, and if if they're supposed to die there, then they're supposed to die there. Anyway, hit the button. So yeah, I get why he would suddenly feel responsible, because he's just spent an entire year dealing with the oh, I did tell those robots to kill him or let those robots kill Quentin Beck. I feel that responsibility. I've been accused of being responsible for the death of Mysterio. I don't want to be responsible for the death of these people and actually be responsible for it.
0: It's the Spider-Man ethos as well. It's the, hmm. I can do something, so therefore I should do something. Or I can try to do something, so therefore I should. Turns out he hasn't learned that lesson before prior to this point as evidence in this film. Although there is suggestions of it previously in Civil War when Tony Stark asks him what his motivation is, and he says, if you can do something to stop bad things happening and you don't, then those bad things happen because of you. So it's clear that he's learned that at some point, but they've kind of sidelined that lesson. And Uncle Ben has never been mentioned. His initials are on a suitcase in Far From Home, and he's mentioned in an episode of What If?, which is the same universe as this one, except at some point zombies happened. So you can take it as read that there was an Uncle Ben in this Peter Parker's past, but the circumstances of that loss are unclear. It doesn't seem like that he lost Uncle Ben in the way that he normally loses Uncle Ben, i.e. I could have stopped a criminal and didn't and blamed myself, so this motivates me to never turn a blind eye ever again. He's already learned that he shouldn't turn a blind eye because May tells him, if you can help, you should help so go do that and then she dies and there is a measure of responsibility on peter's part for that loss because he could have returned these people to their universities turned that blind eye and let them die or go back to rot in prison in the case of the lizard for example or do whatever sandman does i don't know pretends to be a beach <laughs> he suits himself i <laughs> have no idea what he does but he's fine he's not going back to die Because he doesn't die in Spider-Man 3, he survives. So fine, okay. So he can hold himself responsible for the death of May because he listened to her and chose to try and help these people and trying to help those people indirectly led to her death because the goblin persona reasserted itself and then killed her. So this is Peter being punished for his kindness in a lot of ways. But before May dies, she says to him, we did the right thing. This was still the right thing. So he can take that lesson and he can run with it. And then there is the point where he does seem ready to abandon it. And he's like, Well, I lost me because of this. I'm absolutely done. I want to get that box and press that button and I don't care anymore. And it's other versions of himself that help put him right in that respect but this film is about him learning that traditional with great power comes great responsibility lesson when May says those exact words it's almost an undertaker's ears to prick up because they're like oh I'm about to make a sale of a coffin today because anybody who says that to Peter Parker their days are numbered I actually didn't expect May to die in this film in retrospect when she says those words I should have seen it coming because, because that lesson tends to come with the loss that's how he learns that lesson but I guess I was coloured by my comic knowledge where they can't seem to kill off aunt may no matter how many times they've killed off aunt may so she's still kicking around she dies in the video game spoilers for the video game she dies in that but she tends to live longer than she should reasonably in the comics for some reason so i guess i didn't expect her to die in this but a big theme of the film is loss and peter losing everything so it makes sense and It's interesting that she becomes the Uncle Ben of this universe in terms of the motivating factor. So I wonder what happened to his Uncle Ben. Maybe he just died of cancer or something like that. Not something that he can blame himself for.
1: It could be that Uncle Ben is still around in this particular thing. He's just not there. There is that possibility.
0: They do hint at it, though. In Homecoming, Peter says something about, I don't want to dump this on me after everything that's happened. And then in that What If episode I was talking about, he talks about how he lost Uncle Ben.
1: But What If established the fact that other events might be different as well as the main event that you're watching so what if means nothing to an extent because they tweak so many different things in those episodes it's not always just the one thing that's in them is the thing that changed it can be items before and other side topics but yeah I, I, i guess i think we
0: can assume that uncle ben existed and is dead but the circumstances of his death are a big question mark and they don't seem to be important because his death doesn't inspire peter in the way it traditionally does
1: i agree with you i mean going from comic book knowledge uncle ben dies i was just saying that (laughs) i've not actually heard it yeah we've had hints of everything that's happened suitcases and everything like that i was just putting it out there as a possibility but fair enough yeah i think that particular moment with losing me was very powerful on screen was really done well i was sitting watching it going, I feel for Tom Imagine doing this to Tom Holland, you horrors. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done? Poor Peter Parker that I'm watching on screen here. It was just such a moment where he's weighing up at that point all the decisions that have led to this particular bit where he's doubting his entire life choices. Be it becoming Spider-Man all the way through to why did I get Doctor Strange to cast this spell? Why did I agree to help them and not just hit a button and send them back? That entire things going through him no matter what may says at that point i do like the fact that it's hard that gives them the inspiration that line the comic accurate line going straight in i think it was really well done at that point i was thinking well it depends on how they resolve the outcome of this film but with it all being based on memory rather than time travel or unravelling time or doing anything like that, it's all been about memory. I thought, this is going to stick. And I guess to have the ending of this film the way it is, you need May to die or not be around anymore because otherwise she's just got a really strange house guess. <laughs> you can't have the spell at the end and make everyone forget Peter Parker if may is still about
0: why have i got so much stuff belonging it, it, to a teenage boy in my house i don't understand
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't know quite how all the elements of the spell work and i imagine we could probably do a three-hour podcast just on how does this spell work and we will <laughs> no doubt we will i think from the outcome of this you have to have the death of me in order for them to finish the way they do I don't think it's a waste of a character. I think they made it a really strong moment. I think it's a shame it had to happen because I've liked what they've done with the character, but I can't see how else they could have done it.
0: Yeah, I mean, the film ends with him losing everything and I suppose you could have still done that if she'd survived because you could have had that scene at the end. Instead of being at her gravesite, he goes to see her and she has no memory of him and she doesn't know who he is. But that raises other questions around, does she know she has a nephew called Peter that she has no memory of, has never met as far as she's concerned? I don't know. Does she remember interacting with Spider-Man? There's loads of questions I have about this spell that will hopefully be answered in future films. But yeah, it would have been a different sort of tragedy at the end, whereas opposed to, he hasn't got that support structure anymore. He doesn't have any parental figures. At the end of the film, he's... Maybe 18-ish. He has to grow up really fast now, doesn't he? He lost his parents at some point. We don't know the ins and outs of that. Historically, when they do films about the loss of Peter Parker's parents, they're terrible. So smart choice there, I suppose. We don't know what happened to Uncle Ben, but he ain't there. And now he doesn't have Aunt May. So any parental figures he ever had in his life, Tony Stark is dead. So he doesn't have that anymore. None of the Avengers remember him. So he does end with nothing. And suffering that loss is specifically to teach him that lesson about responsibility. Those words will resonate with him now and he has to find a way to internalise them. His first reaction is just to abandon this mission entirely. And I really liked how Osborne sticks the boot in when he attacks. She made you weak with her moral mission. And Peter learns that his values are part of what makes him strong. They're part of what defines him and that he shouldn't apologise for them. He shouldn't feel guilty about having those values they're strong and may gave them to him and she reminds him of that he already knew that but she reminds him of that in her last moments effectively
1: yeah totally agree let's
0: get on to peter's relationship with his team his guys in the chair Guy and gal in the chair. MJ and Ned. What did you
1: think of the way that they did the trio in this film? How did you think that worked? Did you think it was good? I think it was good for what we got. I think the moments that they spent on screen together were great. I think the problem with having a film like this that's got so many characters, so many villains, so many multiverse tie-ins and plots to explain and things to do, it becomes very difficult to find time to put your core three together and to make those moments impactful i think a lot of the stuff they did was great especially early on with showing how they're supporting him through the reveal of his identity the sort of fun they had when they were teaming up to help out at dr strange's where he pulls his friends in (laughs) yeah he says you can set up in the basement off you go and they're so giddy to be involved in that there's not tons of time that the three of them spend together but i think what's there is good mj and ned themselves get one of the best scenes in the whole thing (laughs) because they're getting to pull toby Maguire and andrew garfield in so they get one of the best scenes in the whole you know the bit that got all the cheers and the laughs they got that moment but i wish there could have been more of them i wish there could have been more of that friendship on screen i understand exactly why it's not there because like i say this film has got tons of stuff and i don't know where you could squeeze or eke some of that out. And I won't steal the point that I know you're going to mention <laughs> because I know you're going to mention it.
0: You only need to tell me what it is when I make it or if I don't make it, you get to steal it. I agree that there's maybe not as much that they could have done, but I think they use their time meaningfully. I like how they're pulled in as support. He's like, I'm going to need some help. And then they do some Googling and they end up supporting him in their own different ways. It's really cool when he has the phone taped to his costume and he's facetiming them as they're sitting on the laptop watching what's going on it's so rustic and cool especially when we're used to this version of spider-man having ai's in his costume and stuff like that the fact that he's just using normal facetime or whatever app is available i don't know what kind of phone he has it probably wouldn't be an iphone it looks like it's a bit of a junker he has it'd be like a second-hand one he found in a bin or something like that wouldn't it? it wouldn't be top of the range and it's got a cracked screen and
1: i imagine it's a sony
0: probably a sony yeah it's bound to be a sony that you found in the bin yeah is ned using a vio i didn't
1: catch it i think it is a sony laptop i think he's got yeah
0: i couldn't tell because they didn't like zoom in on the logo and make it obvious that that's what it was like they normally do these films and uh, we'll no doubt have to look at in the uncharted movie that's out pretty soon i thought they used those characters well i especially thought zendaya was really good and I really like her in this role I love how the villains were intimidated by her she's like just so you guys know I'll push that button I'll do it and they're like yeah we believe you and the banter that she ends up having with the villains and the way she asserts herself in her relationship with Peter as well because you have that bit where maybe come to us before you change the universe and we can brainstorm I don't know we'll chat about it whatever and that is something that I'll get to later that comes into play quite massively with the climax or doesn't come into play but Maybe that's the point you were referring to? I don't know.
1: That's the point I was referring to. Okay,
0: cool. Yeah, I'll get it. It was me. I thought of it. No one else gets to say it. That's how narcissistic I am.
1: (laughs) It was me that held it back. I know that you're wanting to mention it, and you will put it over well better than I will.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So they used them well, and I think they used her well. And I liked a little insight into her background that you start to get, where she works in that coffee shop or whatever it is and the bit where they talk about her name is michelle jones watson and she's like just jones i don't go by watson for some reason maybe her dad's abusive or something and she rejects that name we don't know we don't get any real insight into these characters beyond the fact that they're peter parker's friends which is a bit of a shame but i do think that the dynamic between them is excellent i love ned and peter's little handshake that they have their little bro handshake
1: Oh, when they do it for the final yeah, time? Yeah. Oh.
0: He's going to forget oh. the handshake. He's going to have to reteach it to him or not, as the case may be. But yeah, they're used quite well. And I quite like it when the film kicks into high gear. They don't just ditch those characters because they so easily could have. It's like, we've got three Spider-Men now. We don't need you.
1: They did involve them. They did keep them through. It. And like I say, they get one of the best bits, but you don't have all three of them interacting as often as I maybe would have liked, but I can see why. They did keep them engaged through the whole thing they get their moment where they're trying to find peter and they pull in the two others in the final fight it's them desperately trying to just close off the little doorway they just want to close the portal so that they're all safe and they can't do it and it's the two of them panicking as they realize that they've still got the whole thing open and they can't close it
0: have you ever closed one of these before no i've opened them but i can't seem to close them they just seem to close on their own except for they this just kind one. of closed themselves <laughs> yeah <laughs> And Ned having magical powers or him being, I don't know, magic sensitive, I suppose, was pretty good. Quite like that. And the way they set that up, apparently it's in my family. Sometimes my fingers tingle and Strange says, consult your physician. And that's all he says. <laughs> Strange just being incredulous with everything that's going on. It's like, I cast a spell now I've got bloody teenagers in the sanctum doing stuff. And for some reason, I'm just going to go away and let them handle all these villains that are cropping up. Strange is a bit weird. He's very negligent because the plot needs him to be I suppose but the fact that he gets stranded in the mirror dimension is quite funny he just gets left there I don't know how long he'll be stuck there until we accidentally let him out is the answer Doctor Strange is just impotently hovering over the mirrored Grand Canyon for some reason but yeah the three of them were good I think in the film we were talking about earlier that would have been great just watching them bounce off each other for the two plus hours that we would have got because peter and ned were great in the first film and zendaya was peripheral but that was the point of her she didn't want to engage socially and she's more involved in the second one and then in this one she's more involved still but her role is very specific but i think they do the teenage relationship thing pretty well as in they're trying to figure each other out there's a really good moment early on where they're talking to each other over video chat before they go back to school the next day and they're Talking about their futures and how MJ's like, I don't know if we'll get into MIT or anywhere we want to go. and But you're always so positive, and it's like, I am a glass half full kind of gal, and, and you love people. It's like, yeah, I love people. God, I love them so much. I love that stuff. Although, about the, the end where they bring in Happy for a joke, it annoyed me because it undercuts that moment. And I think MCU films do that quite a lot, where you get a really meaningful scene and then they just diffuse it with a joke. And that's something that Disney films do a lot, actually. And sometimes it works. Sometimes you need that laugh before you start crying effectively. But in MCU films, they do that. And sometimes it just undermines the moment completely. And I think that happens with that video chat bit. It's like, oh, look, happy. He's got his sleep apnea mask on. He's got his oxygen because he has breathing issues while he sleeps or something. I don't know. But do we need that joke here? And they did that a couple of times through the film as well. I can't think of any other specific examples, but that was definitely one where I was like, could have done without that. I was happy just enjoying this tender moment between this young couple.
1: Yeah, is there a reason to break that moment with a gag? I agree with you, I think that was a really good scene showing the relationship, and I agree with you again, I think maybe the gag wasn't the best to put in. It isn't a joke that plays in to anything else, and i didn't feel at that moment that it needed breaking let the scene breathe let it be what it is you don't need to interrupt it with something just transition into your next moment just
0: yeah and I like a recurring message from MJ they expect disappointment and you'll never be disappointed mantra that she lives by and That's something I personally live by as well. You never get your hopes up because it's much more painful when what you want doesn't happen. So MJ subscribes to that, although she ends up getting over it by being a bit excited about her future when she gets into MIT after the Peter Parker of it all isn't a problem. And she's even optimistic about the fact that it can stop the villains. So it's almost like her arc is around being more optimistic, although it's not as prominent as it could have been because... They have to push all that aside because there's so much other madness happening in the film. But yeah, great. And I think that if they're lost from here on out, which they would have to be kind of, if they're going to MIT, which is in Boston, and future Spider-Man films are set in New York, then they just won't be there unless they set them during like summer break or something when they're back from being away at college or what have you. But that supporting cast that he has, to lose that is a shame and i suppose it's supposed to be it's a tragedy it's a loss isn't it it's a shame but also having zendaya in your film and then not having zendaya in your film is a loss from a marketing point of view i suppose
1: no definitely and i suppose we'll come on to what's happening next later on the podcast maybe but i do think it would be a loss if you didn't have them in it but i think maybe we actually need that loss to make this film have consequence
0: Yeah, if it's undone in the first five minutes of the next film, then what's the point?
1: Exactly. Or even within the first 15, or off-screen, or as part of another film, I think it wouldn't do it justice. But anyway, we can talk about that.
0: We'll definitely get to it. We do this a lot, or I do this a lot when I'm hosting podcasts, where I'll promise to get to something. And then, I usually do, but it's one of those... We're talking about this now, but we're not going to talk about this now. We'll pick it up slightly later. It's almost like the commercial break, yeah, isn't we know, it?
1: we know you want us to talk about it. It's a tease. Stay it's tuned a tease ahead. for my
0: thoughts on this thing. <laughs> Whether you're interested or not, it's something that we're going to talk about at some point.
1: Still to come, villains and multiple Peter Parkers coming up after this. <laughs> after these messages. <laughs>
0: this podcast is brought to you by Oscorp. We don't exist in this universe. That's why we're (laughs) sponsoring this podcast. (laughs) Call back to the Arrow days when I used to sometimes have presenting sponsors like Cord Industries. We make stuff for you to steal. That kind of stuff. Those were the days. Mm -hmm. The pre-100 days. Maybe post-100 days. I don't know. So as you said, MJ and Ned, that rhymed. Weird. They're the ones that are there when Peter 2 and Peter 3 enter the film. And it happens when Ned has... Doctor Strange's sling ring and he's like, give me Peter Parker. And then portals start opening and they try twice and then give up. We've got two and we still haven't found the one that we're looking for, but we're not going to try this again. The kitchen isn't that big. We can't have too many more Peter Parkers in this kitchen. (laughs) But I loved that scene when the portal opened and you've got Spider-Man just skulking about in an alley for some reason. And you see from a distance the big eyes on the costume. And I knew from that moment, it's Andrew Garfield. Here he comes. And I was just waiting for it to be confirmed. And of course, we all knew it was happening anyway. It had been leaked. It had been rumoured. But it didn't all the fact when he jumped through the portal and took his mask off that I was exhilarated by the fact, yeah, my favourite Spider-Man is back. That doesn't mean I hate the others, Internet. I just like him slightly better than the others, okay? Andrew Garfield is my favourite Spider-Man. So seeing him back was superb. And I thought his introduction was great. And the reaction in the cinema was amazing as well.
1: The reaction at the cinema was just ridiculous. Like I say already, like the first big... Thing was Matt Murdoch appearing on screen, but that was nothing in comparison to when Andrew Garfield came through, and it was that slow ripple as everyone in the room got it. There were some people that as soon as they saw the silhouette, they were like, Oh my god. There was other people that it took him walking a bit closer to the portal and they're going, oh, and starting to <laughs> it, And then he's fully through and just the round of applause in the cinema. You don't get that often. No in a cinema i've got to say you can get it sometimes where you've got a big laugh and a crowd but it's very rare that folk will start applauding a cinema screen but you were getting that during our showing. why
0: are you applauding the people
1: aren't here no one involved with us is here yeah they're not here <laughs>
0: unless they are because toby Maguire and andrew garfield did sneak into a screening wasn't ours
1: oh that'd be great but yeah the applause and the in the film was just Absolutely ridiculous. I loved the way that they did it. In the run up, and I think I've said on podcasts and stuff before, I was like, if they're in it, maybe it's just going to be a quick cameo or it'll be flashes of something or they'll appear in the final fight as a surprise. Oh, he's about to get taken down by everyone, but then suddenly two people swing into view. I loved the way that they did this. I think they handled it so well. For it to be MJ and Ned pulling them through and having that initial conversation and figuring out, oh, it's pulled in another peter proof that you're peter parker let's make sure that you're peter parker all that sort of stuff going on getting him to crawl on the ceiling (laughs) It, it was so good to see it on screen it was a moment that yeah it had been leaked but you don't know how they're gonna do it how much they're gonna do it and i just think it was handled really really well it was pretty well written the way they put that in and i guess One of the reasons that it was in that sort of isolated way was so that they could film it elsewhere, away from the main set, so that it wouldn't get leaked out. I can presume that if you take Tom Holland away from set for a few days in order to film something, it'll get noticed a lot more than sending them away for a couple of days. So I think it was really well done.
0: Yeah, because they were only really in the three locations, weren't they? They were in Ned's grandma's house, Mm. or whoever they were, the science lab at the school, and then the green screen warehouse, I guess that was representing the Statue of Liberty. And it was that clip of Andrew Garfield that leaked of him just sitting with his hand against the railing. The one that he claims is like a deep fake. Mm -hmm. That was in there exactly. I just laughed when I saw it. I was like, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that video before. And I've seen the commentary videos where people that know how to do deep fakes are like, if this is a deepfake, it's the best one ever made. It's insane how good this is. You can't see any seams. I think you're right in terms of how carefully they were filming it. And there are some points where you can kind of tell that the three of them aren't sharing the same space. So... I think they did some jiggery-pokery there where they just digitally inserted them into moments or what have you. But it was great having them there. And I'd like to give you that time to digest the fact that Andrew Garfield's there as well because you can talk a bit about audience reaction stuff. I know that some people would like deathly silence in their cinema screens and I do understand that. I'm the first to complain about the fact that people chatting or chomping or what have you throughout any given film. But if I'm in a film like that and the crowd are just excited by something, in-game cat picks up the hammer, we all whooped then the portal stuff happened where we're all cheering. It's cheesy, but it brings you together in a different way. And as long as the audience just let the moment happen, let it wash over them, have a laugh, have a cheer, whatever, and then get on with it so that you don't miss what's happening. Our audience, to their credit, did that. They did the quick applause when Andrew Garfield appeared and then there was silence. And then Toby Maguire appeared, there was quick applause, silence. That was about it. At least in terms of what I noticed, I didn't feel like I was being distracted from the film by the fact that the audience couldn't stop themselves from going nuts. So I think we had the right balance there. But giving you that time to digest the fact that he's here, mostly with... MJ interrogating him. It's like, prove you're Peter Parker. He's like, I'm wearing a Spider Man costume. What more proof do you need? We need more proof. And he's like, fine. And then he just jumps up to the ceiling. It's crawl around a bit. It's like, I don't need to. This is enough.
1: I'm doing enough here.
0: One more. <laughs> and then he has to go get the cobweb in the corner. I liked that. That was really good.
1: Throwing the bread <laughs> at him to see if he can swerve out the way. Yeah,
0: don't you have the tingle? <laughs> not for bread. <laughs> bread is not a threat. <laughs> <laughs> And then Toby Maguire walks in and he's more subdued. And I like that because you couldn't do it because Andrew's appearance is very, it's very quick. And then Toby's is more casually just kind of saunters in. He's like, I hope it's okay that I walk through this. Oh, it's closed. The difference between the two of them, because you couldn't do that twice. You couldn't have the fanfare, I suppose. There wasn't really a fanfare, but
1: it felt like there was for Andrew. It's a balance of the two characters. Andrew Garfield just seemed to be having the most fun with it ever. It was like the pressure was off have fun with it, enjoy it, enjoy this moment kind of thing, and he went for it. Andrew Garfield, when he comes through, there was almost that on-screen moment. I need to see it again to see if there is that pause for applause moment (laughs) where they've left a beat and everyone could lose their mind. Tobey Maguire, like you say, it's a more chilled thing and he's been actively looking for Peter One. I've been trying to find him, I've seen what's going on, I need to help him kind of thing. I know I need to help. It is that more subdued way of doing it but it's also supposed to be an older wiser and in inverted as peter parker so i think tonally it worked
0: i think one question we all had after the film is would you have liked to have seen a fourth peter parker played by someone that's never played peter parker before maybe you get a riff on the peter mm. b parker from spider verse or something like that from a meta point of view or from a storytelling point of view really it's a bit strange that we're going to try and find him through portals twice We found Peter Parker's, but not the one we're looking for. We'll keep at it.
1: Yeah, and it's our same argument with the villains, isn't it? Of all the people in all the multiverse that know Peter Parker is Spider-Man, we get these ones because these are the ones that have appeared on screen. Of all the Peter Parkers everywhere, we get these two because these are the Peter Parkers that we've seen on screen. So yes, I would. But again, this film is long enough already. I don't know what you junk in order to go, oh, and by the way, I don't think you would be... As interested to hear Peter world worldview. Timothy
0: Chalamet is Peter Parker.
1: Timothy Chalamet dropping in, or any. I'd be for a film where just tons of Peter Parker show up, <laughs> but we've kind of had that to an extent in Spider Verse. I know it's not all Peter Parker's, but it's different Spider people. And I think you kind of need the bulk of the film to be that if that is what you're going to get go for because otherwise you can't do anything else justice. I think if they could only have got, say you go to Toby Maguire, you go, Toby Maguire, are you gonna do this? And Toby Maguire says, ha, ha ha, no. Then I think you could go off and go, right, we're just gonna pull in another random Peter Parker. We're gonna invent a slightly older Peter Parker that fits that same bracket that isn't Toby Maguire, where we can say maybe it was toby Maguire. let's
0: ask chris pine he did it in the animated one he was the dead one in the animated one let's ask chris Pine. then we can complete our collection of hollywood chrissies in the mcu <laughs>
1: <laughs> but we're saving them for i don't know captain fantastic <laughs> <laughs> or mr fantastic sorry yes i would like to see it yes i also would have liked to have had a villain that we've maybe not had on screen before I would love for them to just have thrown a random casting in there. Marvel has the clout. Sony has the clout that they can go and get Brad Pitt (laughs) to randomly play a character in a film. Or, what's it, is it Matt Damon that appears in Thor Ragnarok? To come on and do a bit. They could go off and they could get whoever to come in. There would be some people that would tell them, what, to come in and do a few? No, no, go away. But they could have done something ridiculous pretty quickly or you do it as a post-credits gag a sting because the post-credits in this was a teaser for Dr. Strange, and then obviously the one for Venom that we'll no doubt talk about later on tease you could have done your comedy bit of multiple Peter Parkers or multiple Aunt Mays I would have loved to have seen multiple Aunt Mays (laughs) or multiple Uncle Ben's or whatever you decide to put in instead of villains instead of Spider-Man instead of just the random ancillary characters that know that Peter Parker, Spider-Man, pull them in. do a scene of that. Surely it wasn't just the villains and the spider man that came through. There are other people. The Mary Janes. Random Mary Janes and Gwen Stacys. You just assemble a lineup of Mary Janes and Gwen Stacys who have all appeared at the same <laughs> place. They're all like, who are you? I would love to have seen that as a post-credits.
0: And then Gwen's like, well, I've got to go back and die.
1: Yeah, I was falling and then I was here. There's something about that. Yeah, I would love to have seen it. Does it diminish what we got? Not in any way. And I think if they had done it, we maybe wouldn't have got the beats that we wanted out of this. I think a lot of us would have come out and gone, what the hell was the fourth Peter Parker for? Okay, it was cool that they showed us a fourth Peter Parker, but are they going to do anything with him in the future? Probably not. So what was the point? I would have rather seen more time with Andrew Garfield talking to Tobey Maguire or Tom Holland speaking to Tobey Maguire or anything like that. You would have turned around and went, oh, we missed this beat and we got this moment instead.
0: You know exactly why they didn't do a fourth Spider-Man. It's because they wouldn't have been able to use three as a magic number in the credits otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this whole film was built around. We can use this song, so we that need three Spider-Men.
1: End of story. We need Della Soul in the closing credits or else.
0: Or Embrace, maybe. We'll use their version. Now. Or embrace it just made me wonder it's that why did they just give up after the two of them it's like they knew there was only two other peter parkers at this universe at the moment yeah there's no point in looking because there's, there's only the three and all the villains are connected to them so yeah we're fine it wasn't clear how extensive the multiverse shenanigans were strange suggested that some were pulled through and more would be pulled through later if the spell wasn't kept in check but any brocks there which we'll talk about later stay tuned after these messages and we'll talk about that later
1: <laughs> so i don't know it was just one of those things again it's a nitpick it's not a problem do you know what just thinking in my head the bit that i actually would have liked not pulling through another multiverse peter parker who is spider-man just some random dude who lives anywhere else in the world who's called peter parker <laughs> not a spider-man not a multiverse spider-man just someone else from the mcu called peter parker you open the portal he's sitting on the toilet or something you use it as a comedy beat and just go okay we're not going to do that again close the portal the portal closes and they go yeah enough of doing that i think i know where he might be then you do that as an end but to just go that's why they didn't try and pull any more in.
0: sorry to disturb you please enjoy the toilets we will leave you be.
1: Yeah, whatever silly position you want to put the person in. (laughs) Maybe not the toilet, I don't know. I would
0: say the toilet's (laughs) probably the best one. Just sitting there with the newspaper, he looks up. Sorry, closes the portal. Job done.
1: (laughs) It's someone on their break, they've got a big name badge on that says Peter Parker, (laughs) they're reading a newspaper, the newspaper comes down, they go, oh, it's not him.
0: (laughs) Maybe we should just try and use our knowledge of the person that we know to try and find him. How about that? Let's give that a go. Has anybody tried phoning him? How about tracking his suit? Oh, wait, he takes the trackers out of his suits. Stuff like that. Again, it's neither here nor there. And we know the reason they did it was because we've had three... Well, we've actually had four live-action Spider-Man, but Nicholas Hammond doesn't seem to get a look in. And then the Japanese one, he was live-action. But let's not get into that. We've had three big-budget blockbuster cinematic spider man So we're going to use this film as a celebration of them and let them interact with each other. A bit like a Doctor Who multi-doctor episode. They all look different, but they're the same guy, sort of. And we'll let them bounce off each other. That's what we're here for. That's what we're looking at. And it's a good point to get onto the spoiler-aversion culture that we live in properly because we all knew this was coming, right? In fact, this film would have been raked over the coals if it hadn't happened because it had been so heavily hyped for such a long time. If... People had come out of this film and you, all you see was Tom Holland's Peter Parker fighting villains from other Spider Man movies. Everyone would be like, well, that sucks. They didn't bring the other ones in. We're never going to have that opportunity. But I hate this film. Blah, blah, blah. That would have happened. The problem with it is. Because Sony and Disney and Marvel marketing are encouraging you not to spoil the thing that you've seen, not to talk about these things after you've seen them with people that haven't also seen it, it means that it's very difficult to have meaningful conversations about the film that you've seen. And from a review point of view, I wrote a review of this film and it was very difficult to say nothing really to put across what i thought of it without saying anything and i did read a couple of reviews that decided they weren't going to bother buying into this marketing nonsense that's been going out there was one of them two of them actually that started with i'm going to spoil this significantly so if you don't want to know don't read it but i'm not going to let sony and disney dictate what i can and can't say in a review because of the spoiler aversion thing and the thing about this film is a big part of it is the fact that there's three spider-men in it it contributes to tom holland's Peter Parker's arc. There are arcs of a sort for those other two Spider-Men and the content they have is meaningful but you can't talk about it. Andrew Garfield was excellent in this film. His performance was superb and you can't talk about it in a review if you want to buy into this marketing guff that these big companies are not forcing you to subscribe to but making you in a way because someone might read your review and just attack you on the internet for spoiling everything for them or what have you. Do you think it prevents meaningful discourse about these things after they come out until a certain amount of time has passed? Or are you okay with the fact that, wait till you see this, I'm not going to say a word, but you're going to love it. I mean, I know you don't write reviews, but how do you feel about it?
1: Yeah, I don't. I think you trod the line very well when you wrote your review and managing to cover it without spoiling major beats. I think it's easier to do to an extent on the internet than it is in written publications. You can put a big wall of text that says after this point there are spoilers and i am going to ruin this for you if you carry on and give the person the choice of do i continue with that or not i think there's a difference between instantly going and putting out on social media for example your tweet or your post or the headline of your review is andrew garfield shines in spider-man no way home and that being your tweet read my review and then put the link out I think that is different from mentioning it in the review and I think it's different from written publications where it's more difficult to opt out than it is in an online format. I get where people are coming from where it's if you don't let me discuss a big chunk of the movie how can I accurately review it for someone. If they are wanting to know what the performances are like I can't talk about a chunk of the performances. If they want to know what the second or third act of this is like I can't talk about that either if I think there's flaws or fits, all I can say is I think there's flaws in the third act I can't say what the flaw is or what decision I disagree with in it it's difficult and there's a tendency sometimes for reviews that you read to be basically a description of the plot rather than an actual review and that's where I start to get problems when I'm reading stuff I think if you are a big fan And a lot of people have, if you look at the box office takings of this particular film, through the roof, during the pandemic especially.
0: Omicron spreads because of (laughs) Spider-Man.
1: Yeah, the amount of people who wanted to see this did not want their first experience of the main plot to be overhearing someone discussing it in the works canteen or on the bus, I get that. I feel the people that this disadvantages is anyone who's not got the flexibility to see it on opening night or opening weekend or within the first week. Maybe they do not want to know. But they still need to go on the internet for their job, or they still need to be in the work canteen. They've not got the option of, I'll just opt out of the work canteen, by the way. I'm just not going to stand in line and hear someone talking about it, or you walk past a cinema every day on your way into work, or your bus stops outside the cinema, and someone goes, Oh, yeah, I saw Spider Man the other day. Oh, you won't believe. I thought Andrew Garfield was great in that. It's a balance. I think sometimes it can be taken slightly too far where people become really violent and triggered if they hear even a hint of something going on in a show. You try and be courteous. If you're in a conversation in a room with multiple other people, it might be, oh, have you seen this yet or do you care? Because some people don't care, genuinely. We'd be like, oh, what, is Andrew Garfield in it? Oh, great. They don't care if that's a spoiler. Some people Google plot before they even go in. They want to know if there's a twist so they can watch for it through the entire film. There are people that do it. There's an entire industry around breaking down trailers to the point that folk that are fans of films are spoiling the films for themselves because they're sitting analysing frame by frame every trailer to look and go, oh, can I work out the entire plot of this film before it's come out using the first one-minute trailer that's out? So it's, it's all a balance. Sometimes it's nice to be surprised, to not know plot twists. But there's a ton of films, classic films, that have plot twists and surprises that everyone or the majority of the population know the outcome because it's been riffed on tons of times. Spoiler for Star Wars, but Vader is looking at yeah.
0: Well, there's that classic Simpsons gag, isn't there, where Homer and Marge come out of the cinema. It's like, wow, I can't believe that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. And there's a queue of people around the, <laughs> around the corner just like, what? Don't do that. Psycho is a big one, isn't it? The kill of Janet Lee near the beginning. Scream. The kill of Drew Barrymore in the opening scene. Nobody expected that, etc. There's those kinds of classic twists that, as you say, people got at the time let's talk about star trek star trek 3 they blow up the enterprise no one saw that coming that was insane no one pictured that or killing spock in fact in wrath of khan it leaked that they were planning to kill spock so they put in the kobayashi maru bit so that people would think oh right that's what we were hearing about that's fine and then the death is still a surprise but even that leak at the time or it was threatening to leak so i think to be surprised is, is one thing and even though it is big corporation marketing nonsense the fact that the people that make the film want you to enjoy those surprises is one thing to look back to endgame if i put in my review how great was it when captain america lifts mjolnir for the first time it's just we wanted it we got it they gave it to us and then all the dead heroes they come triumphantly through portals and they go to fight thanos's army who thanos is in this movie as well he's the big villain again. get in. yeah you don't need to be talking about that in your review because those aren't they are major points but they're not major points whereas the fact that you have three spider-men in this and they interact and they help tom holland develop towards his end point is important it's an important character thing these actors have something to contribute to the film so the fact that for all intents and purposes everyone's denying that they're in it kind of cuts off a large portion of conversation for quite a while i know they're talking about they're going to put it in the marketing in february that these two people are in it because
1: it's all out there by that point And they've been doing press now, or at least Andrew Garfield has been accepting in the press now. I think it's a balance because of the content that we do. We all know friends are massively into Marvel or DC or certain shows or Star Trek or anything like that. And you just know that before you go into a conversation with them, you're going to ask, oh, have you seen it? And then you have the discussion. But you've also got to accept the fact that if you're not within a tight window more spoilers and stuff are going to come out. And it tends to be, from my experience anyway, on social media and stuff, it seems to be once it hits the American market that stuff pops up a lot more which is why i'm always glad if we get that couple of days ahead of a us release because i know it's not going to get ruined for me online before that point doesn't mean that we're immune to it over here but normally it just means that it doesn't become viral to the same extent that something like instagram is starting to put spoiler posts up ahead or pirated clips start appearing on your promoted items before you've even had the chance well that
0: venom post credit scene they got it two weeks before Mm. us or something like that we got bond and they got venom who got the best deal let's not discuss that but that's what happened so that post-credit scene it was out there i avoided it because i'm not on social media very much so i didn't know what the post-credit scene was going to be but it was there and it was easy to find it was easy to stumble across where we got this on the wednesday so by the thursday really you're probably going to be inundated with it if you're not careful
1: it's just being conscious i don't think it's all marketing stuff we've generated it for ourselves That as fans, we want to be surprised by these things. It used to be the marketing for a film. They would put, like you say, everything out there. It's starring all these characters, all these people. There'd be shots in trailers from third acts and finales. And when people were going on TV to discuss it, they would discuss the fact that their character dies at the end. (laughs) They would just straight out. It's only, especially more recently, where it's become far more, oh, I don't want to know what happens in this week's Game of Thrones. I don't want to know what happens in Westworld or... Any of these things. I don't want to know what happens in this week's episode. Don't spoil Line of Duty for me or things. Or even stuff that's been on for ages, folk can get their backs up about. But I don't think it spoils people's enjoyment. I just think there's a bit of a balance that needs to be found in it. If that's what is encouraging people to go and see these films and go and see them in the cinema rather than watching them at home or waiting until they come out on DVD and that's helping fill the cinema seats with people who don't want the film spoiled for them, then I think that's great for cinema. That experience, like I say, that experience that we had during that screening was one of the best I have had in a cinema. The atmosphere was great
0: that was us basically knowing exactly what was coming we didn't know how it was coming but we knew it was coming
1: yeah you're suspecting and you don't know but there was still surprises one of the biggest laughs that got out of the crowd was norman osborne deploying his <laughs> line i'm something <laughs> of a scientist myself because as much as we were playing what to expect bingo before we went in and i think someone probably had that on their list i don't know did isaac have that on i his don't list? think so i can't remember i can't remember if someone listed it if not we should have done but it was sitting there. It's this. Meme that goes about the internet all the time. I'm something of a scientist myself. And then he says it on screen. And just the crowd going mental for... I'll throw away a line like that. It was just one of those screenings. And if that encourages that kind of atmosphere and encourages that sort of attendance at a cinema, I don't think it's wrong.
0: I'm also not saying that my review would have been any better or worse had I been able to talk about Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire's performances. I don't really think it would have affected it one way or the other. It's just something that I would be Bursting to talk about, I suppose, which is the point. It's something that happened that excited me about this film. And well, now I'm recording a podcast, so I can talk about it for as long as I like. I just thought it'd be an interesting discussion to have because we have been ingrained in this spoiler or anti spoiler culture for quite a while. As you say, the Game of Thrones thing. The Game of Thrones thing is a great example. UK news outlets publishing. Game of Thrones spoilers as if they're just news Didn't the BBC do that? Wasn't it that it was available from midnight on Sky Atlantic Or something like that So people could watch it at midnight And reporters for the BBC and so on clearly were and we're like here's what happens in this week's game of thrones but you're reading this article you're on the bus to work and haven't watched it yet because maybe you watch it when it's on tv or maybe you watch it when you get home but here's the article that just tells you everything and a headline that says whatever the main thing that happened in this is you get a lot of these headlines even if you just scroll absentmindedly through social media spoiler dies in tonight's whatever now i know someone dies you can probably guess who it is just depends how they set up but the point is that without spoiling it they have Spoiled it.
1: Game of Thrones was an interesting one as an example for partway through, because for a long period it was following the books. So the big events, the big plot twists, the big stuff. Yeah, this has been published for years. It's available. You can read it. We can't spoil it. It's in print.
0: But I suppose you wouldn't know if they're going to change it or not.
1: Yeah. Which characters is there going to be a shocker? And then once they were past it, that was when the spoiler stuff got even worse because then it was even the people <laughs> that read the books were like, oh, I don't know what happens next. Those so don't spoil it for me either. Yeah. But back to Spider-Man. Sorry. No, it's
0: fine. I think it was worthwhile having that conversation and I don't think we're ever going to solve it. Certainly not on this podcast. But I think there will be further things in the future where it will be, don't talk about this until enough time has passed because it's sensitive information that people might not want to know and there's going to be leaks and whatever. I imagine as we ramp up to the Multiverse of Madness, there's going to be leaks about what cameos we're getting there. There already has been. There's been leaks about, well, maybe we'll get the Reed Richards from the Fantastic Four movies. Maybe we'll get whoever from other movies. Maybe Wesley Snipes' Blade will turn up. That is already starting. So I guess we're going to get it again before Multiverse of Madness. We're going to have expectations thrown at us, and then it'll either happen or they won't.
1: It's funny because people will say they don't want spoilers, but then also will read all the articles saying so-and-so spotted around roundabout filming location of insert name of Marvel project, such-and-such such in talks with Kevin Feige, or so-and-so spotted on set... And you go, if everyone hates spoilers, these websites would not be making any money out of these articles, the multiple articles about so-and-so cast in Marvel Project, rumoured to be character XYZ. Then you go, oh right, I guess, if I didn't want to know that, then I know it now, and I am expecting them to appear in this film. But the studios can't have it two ways, because they also will announce a ton of stuff in the run-up to a film. The Flash film, for example, we seem to know every multiple Batman and all sorts of stuff that's appearing in that. But again, I detract away from multiple spider man
0: Yes. So the thing I liked best about their inclusion is it wasn't just for that shock value, that cheer value. They were used meaningfully and they are used to prop up Tom Holland's arc and sort of have arcs of their own. With the exception of the Tobey Maguire one, he doesn't really have an arc because he's coming from the point of view of being the seasoned Spider-Man that has things figured out. The conversation he has with Andrew Garfield is really good, where he says, well, oh, I wouldn't give up. Me and MJ, it's complicated, but we made it work. Well, MJ has not that one. No, mine's different. And it's, it's very strange here. But they, they have that conversation where his Peter Parker seems to know what he's doing, seems to find that balance. The Andrew Garfield Peter Parker, by contrast, hasn't. And I think the fact that Tobey Maguire appears in civilian clothes and Andrew Garfield appears in his Spider-Man costume gives you a very clear indication of where they're at in their lives. So for Andrew Garfield, there is no Peter Parker. He even says, I don't have time for Peter Parker stuff. In the wake of losing Gwen, he has just abandoned that side of his life. Or that's a strong implication you get. He's out there being Spider-Man. Apparently being really bitter and violent stops pulling his punches, etc. So he's struggling with that loss. He's struggling to deal with that. And as a result, he has abandoned that half of his life because I guess it's too painful to live it anymore. And that's to a degree what could happen with Tom Holland's Peter Parker. We don't know. He might go in that direction. He might go in another direction. But I really like the, here's two takes on your journey and it's up to you what side you go on. But they both understand loss because Andrew Garfield talks about losing Gwen and says she was like my MJ and I understand how painful that is and then they both talk about uncle ben giving the responsibility lesson so i think they were very very meaningful and i really like that conversation that andrew and toby have about where they're at and their respective lives
1: yeah i was like you because we didn't get the quick flying cameo that i was kind of expecting in my head in a way i was so glad to hear those kind of conversations where you get to pick up on where we left off with that character to hear that toby mcguire's spider-man has kind of sorted his life he's getting on he's figured out the balance and he's ticking on is great to hear andrew garfield's version talking about stopping pulling his punches the dark place he's got and the fact that he's not got time for his personal life he's not solved anything in his personal life he's insulated himself because the outcome of what happened was oh i can't get close to people because if i do that then I'm putting them at risk of the same thing happening again so I can't do it. Really powerful stuff. And really interesting conversations for them to be having. You know, as much as they were doing all the different jokes and bits that we were expecting, to also have those meaningful conversations, I think, made it even better. Because it could have just been a joke fest and a meme generator for the whole thing. Of sitting and right, we've got to tick off these few things that people have raised. We've got to do web shooters, we've got to do them pointing at each other. You know, let's just bash through all that and then we'll get it done. But instead, they actually made purposeful stuff. The fact that Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man put himself at risk to stop Peter Tom Holland crossing the line with Norman Osborn, I thought was exactly what that character would have done. And seeing them continue their continuity through, I thought was pretty good. They
0: foreshadowed that as well when he says, I tracked down the guy that did it, or the guy that I thought did it, it was actually Sandman, but we won't talk about that. No, That was too complicated, and Spider-Man 3 is a mess, let's not talk about it even though Sandman's here. And Venom's not here, so that's good. Not that Venom. The other Venom's here. All deleted lines from Tobey Maguire, as I understand it. No, not really. But yeah, they set that up where he says, I got what I wanted and it did not make it better. So he does stop... Peter one from crossing that line by standing in the way and the fact that the glider was going to be used as the stabbing implement again was a nice touch because that mirrors what happens with Osborne in his film even though that wasn't directly his fault he just jumped out the way and the glider went through him but it's indirectly his fault I suppose it's just lucky that his villains ended up dying after finding out who he really was most of the time but having that experience and that perspective was really interesting and I'm Glad that they didn't just help Tom Holland's Peter Parker. They helped each other as well. Well, mm. Toby Maguire helps Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker. I'm not sure that Toby learns anything specifically. I don't think he has any lessons that he needs to learn.
1: He gets his back fixed.
0: He does. It's been a long-standing problem for him. All the swinging just threw his back out and he gets it cracked and that was a good moment Toby Maguire's Spider-Man doesn't need to have an arc because he is there as that voice of experience he's like Superman in the episodes of Supergirl that he appears there's nothing for him to experience because mm. he's learned it all he's been through there he's the voice of experience whereas the Andrew Garfield Peter Parker is still in a transitional point he's still not forgiven himself what happened to Gwen. He does have a condensed version of the arc I imagine would have played out in The Amazing Spider-Man 3. When he talks about, I stopped pulling my punches and I went to a dark place and whatever, that is not The Amazing Spider-Man 3 that I actually want to see. I just don't want to see that whatsoever. I'm glad that that never got made because it would have been two and a half hours of Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker being angry and I didn't want to see that. So I'm glad that we didn't get that film. But I'm happy with it here because, the anger does seem to have subsided a bit, because he's not violent and murderous, but he does acknowledge that he's not over it. And he gets to complete that arc when he saves MJ, when he catches her. It's like, oh, no, I can catch Falling Women. It's, the, like you say, the meme factory that this film has caused. It's got the other two Peters' face when Andrew Garfield <laughs> jumps to try and save MJ after having a 0% success rate with saving Falling Women. <laughs> <laughs> It's harsh, but it's
1: true. Imagine if he had missed again, Oh, God. He would never come back
0: I'm never going to live this down. (laughs) That's it. There's not even a Spider-Man. I have to come up with a new superhero identity. I'm just shamed this half of my life now. But I like the conclusion of that arc in that way. And, And then when he ends up not quite being an inspiration for Max, Electro, but he talks to him and it's like, you were never a loser. You were never worthless. That was all good stuff. It's him working his way back to the fact that he can be an inspiration that he can be a force for good again where i guess that side of him would have been lost or at least been quieted down after the loss of gwen and that really interested me and i know there's a movement to get the amazing spider-man 3 made and yeah i do want to see it but i want to see it for the right reasons rather than the wrong reasons as the last one
1: yeah i don't know if they had gone in and done a third one maybe it would have been that dark it probably would have been Under the sensibilities at the time, if The
0: Amazing Spider-Man 2 had been the success that they wanted it to, and they got to make The Sinister Six, they got to make all the spin-offs, and they got to make The Amazing Spider-Man 3, 4, 5, 6, whatever, you would have had that immensely dark emo film where he's beating the crap out of criminals and leaving them in a bloody heap and stuff like that. That's what it would have been. And I'm glad Mm. we didn't have to sit through that because that would have been just (laughs) tedious. But the fact that they allude to it, it's that, no, this is what I've been through and this is what I'm still going through and then he completes the arc by saving MJ and has helped to find his way again through his brothers. i really, I always wanted brothers. I'm really liking that. So then the, I love you guys, but where they're pointing at each other. I love that as well. Apparently that was ad-libbed by Andrew Garfield, but that was a nice little moment. Played for last. The other two just look at him and like, eh, thanks. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Let's say I get back to the fight. This is awkward. <laughs> but it was what it needed to be. I think the experience was as formative for Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker as it was for Tom Holland's Peter Parker. I think they both got a lot out of meeting themselves
1: it's telling them all that they're not alone. There's other versions of you going through the same situation. There's other people out there with similar problems and successes and failures to you. That is quite a powerful message to go through that.
0: Yeah, and also liked all the little banter they were having. The webbing comes out of you and, oh my God, how does that even work? And <laughs> Does it come out of anywhere else? And Toby gets all bashful because he's like, I'm not talking about this. It's really sensitive for me. And they discuss the the implications of that were not quite the implications but they discuss what that means for them it's like yeah i don't do breathing i just generate this stuff i can't explain it it's like yeah i run out of webbing all the time i have to make it in a lab where he's not admitting that he just buys it from oscorp as he does in the amazing spider-man <laughs> i'm gonna pretend that i invented this where i didn't i know i look like an idiot in front of these guys i'm already insecure enough then when they talk about the villains and i thought an alien he was purple and in space and on earth and then toby's like yeah i fought an alien he was a black goo monster thing and andrew's like i want to fight an alien i'm lame <laughs> He's like, you're amazing okay you are amazing, amazing. <laughs> i really like that moment I just fought some idiot in a rhinoceros
1: machine i suck i had a guy in a giant rhino machine i loved that between that and the avengers is that a band are you in a band <laughs> i always wanted to be i'm in not a band. gonna
0: brag but i will <laughs> i was in the avengers that's great what is that? <laughs> you don't have the Avengers? Nope, just us. I'm starting to understand why your universes are so broken. Well, yeah, okay. This is why you have madmen tentacles and whatever, because you don't have the Avengers. I mean, we have equally different madmen. Although one thing that I would have liked to see in that conversation is them discussing other villains that they fought that we didn't see, because they do pluck the villains out of the point in the timeline or at least the dead ones in the point in the timeline just before they died which is a bit strange as a resolution which we'll talk about but because we are picking up with the spider man essentially the present day for them so they're just presumably taken at pace with the Tom Holland one and they're stolen from 2024 or whatever year the MCU is set in at the moment and deposited in this universe so they've had stuff after that so could have been things like Mysterio yeah I had one of them he sucked or oh yeah my Doc Connors he turned himself into a lizard as well stuff like that they could have told you about fights that they had with villains that we didn't see just to give the idea that their careers did continue and continue to be weird in the way that they were before
1: yeah you're not wrong i guess it's for the nostalgia hit that's what it's for it's for us as an audience rather than for them and the thing that they already know and the bit that the audience could go oh yeah i remember seeing that bit on screen oh he's talking about venom it's given us that is an audience. It's the same as pulling other Peters through or pulling in another random villain or a different version of a villain. I guess it's there for our nostalgia kick rather than them inventing something. And maybe there was a constraint or there is a constraint in the unlikely or maybe according to rumors, more likely event that we try and carry something on or do an alternate version or try and pick up a story. We don't want to tie ourselves to. anything don't confirm anything you don't need to because we might need to do it later don't mention it now because if you mention that he's fought craven or he's fought an alien from space or that they do know about the avengers anything like that if you mention anything like that it's kind of tying you for any future project that you throw these characters into in the event that they do maybe i'm overthinking it from that point of view i think the problem is sometimes that if you give too much plot information, if you give too much description, if you give too much extra, you can tie up stuff that you're trying to do down the line.
0: True, but it does seem like their interesting villains stopped at the point that we last saw them in a film because they don't talk about anything else.
1: But they're talking about their most memorable. They're talking about what was the weirdest that you did. Okay, so maybe that was the weirdest, but then after there was a bunch of stuff, but it wasn't the weirdest that you ever yeah. You've got to remember that you're also discounting all the people who have already been pulled through as well. What's the weirdest? Just those guys, really.
0: Everything else is just muggers and stuff.
1: You know all the guys that you're fighting at the moment? Them. They were pretty weird. But yeah, you could have had, especially Andrew Garfield, because the end of his franchise was the room of villains. So they could have picked one of the random ones that was in there, maybe.
0: If I fought a Darkhawk. He was just some guy with a backpack that was tentacles. Because it's just a room full of backpacks. It doesn't matter who uses them. That's what they are. Just we'll create villains by giving them the stuff we already have. Even Andrew could have just talked about his goblin because he fought one and he's not there. That's something he could have mentioned. Especially when they have the best friend conversation. And yeah, Harry Osborn, he also tried to kill me. Interesting. Is that just what Harry Osborn does in every universe that you can think of? Just tries to kill Peter Parker? And it also stood out to me during the conversations the villains were having, especially when they were just casually throwing around the name Connors. Because octavia should have been like i know a connor's in my universe he's not a lizard that i
1: know No, yeah. at the time of which i departed yeah it's true like i said at the beginning there's a load of little points through this where you're like hang on wouldn't they have known thing but it doesn't take you out of that definitely not out of that first viewing no for sure
0: and it's just nitpicky stuff it just it made me think and yeah if we do get an amazing spider-man 3 he doesn't get tethered down to a villain that he hasn't fought yet or whatever so it is what it is but They are there to lend their expertise to these villains that they're currently fighting. And I like how they did that. It was like, okay, I can fix some of this stuff, but the lizard, I don't know what to do. And Andrew's like, yeah, cool, I'll fix him. Fine, I did it before, no big deal. It wasn't you, that was Gwen. All she did was run some serum that you shoved into a big tower that was shot all over the city. You don't know what was in there. You're just taking credit for other people's work again, such as that webbing that you buy that you pretend that you make. (laughs) So there was that, and then... The curing Osborne thing. The, I've been thinking about it a long time. I believe it. I believe that he didn't want things to conclude in that way. He didn't want Osborne to die. And it does make me wonder about the whole returning to the point that he died thing. And I specifically think about that in relation to Octavius, because he says that he had Spider Man by the throat, which means it's the final moments of that film where the device, the sun, was self sustaining and he had to drown it. So whether he goes back with his brain intact or not, does he not still have to drown it? Does the fact that Osborne survived change the timeline significantly? We don't know. We'll never find out. And I would have liked one of the post-credit scenes to be showing the two Spider-Men back in their own universities to give some idea of context as to what they were getting back to but it did make me wonder octavius goes back and he's fixed and there's no tentacles noises in his head anymore but oh no i still have to sacrifice myself that's
1: no good it depends on the moment they're going back in my head i know that we've not got the rules of any of this but in my head every single one of them that's going back is creating like another multiverse another timeline
0: where are the tva they should be all over this
1: (laughs) <laughs> Where are the TVA? Eh? They should be all over this nonsense. Yeah. For example, Norman Osborn going back shouldn't change Doc Ock's timeline. You need them all to be going back and creating their own branches when they go back rather than, oh, it's all part of continuity. They still go back and it's still random or it's still shuffled I think you need it that way but like you say a lot of them are taken from right before the point of death so they're going back fixed but is their fate inevitable i suppose we've just got to hope for the best assume that they've been given the better start to go back i don't know the rules over how the spell works and how everything pans out you're going back but the peter parker that you are going back to doesn't know that you've been fixed in inverted commas so you going back and going, oh, by the way, in the moments that I have blinked out of existence and blinked back in, I have had a life-changing event and I have changed my outlook on life. Do you forgive me, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> because you're not going to know what's happened in your particular timeline until later when I've already been gone for a long period. You know what I mean? You've got to assume it's them all going back to their own point, but then how that resolves itself, I don't know. Ones like Electro, where they were dispersed in the grid or whatever, then fine. But the ones that were directly facing Peter at that moment I don't know how you have them blink out of existence, blink back in and go, oh, by the way, I'm fixed. <laughs> My quest for revenge and all the things that I have done, I now accept the consequences of.
0: Well, they have to be fixed in more than one aspect. They don't manage to remove Octavius's tentacles. He still has them. They've just fixed the chip, which gives him control of himself. We already had that redemptive moment in Spider-Man 2 anyway, not long after the point that he was plucked out, that mm. he describes. He has that moment where... He realises the error of his ways, although the tentacles are still in his head. He's just, through force of will, able to take control of them in order to stop the problem that he caused. So I don't know how that could play out. Maybe they find another way when they work together on it. It's possible.
1: Because he's back earlier.
0: Osborne goes back and he's like... Peter, I'm fixed! Oh crap, here comes my glider. I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) Max is fixed. Obviously he loses his powers, but he's also fixed in the sense that Peter helps him realise that he's not the loser that he thinks he is. It is only in one conversation. And then they allude to Miles Morales in that, by I thought you were black. Maybe there's a black Spider-Man out there somewhere. So there's that. Sandman was already a good person, so he's not Sandman anymore. Doesn't seem like it was too much of a problem that he was a Sandman. I guess it's nice to be fixed. And I did like that conversation I had with Electro. It's like, how'd you get your powers? I fell into a super collider. I fell into a vat of electric eels. It's like, whoa, got to be careful what you fall into. There's so many villains in Spider-Man in particular just created by unfortunately stumbling into something that changes you and gives you these powers. So... I like that reference. That was fun. That was very good. Yeah, it did make me wonder about what has changed in this timeline that they're coming back to. Toby Maguire's Peter Parker goes back to his own time and finds that him, Osborne, and Octavius are in business together and they're really successful or whatever. Andrew Garfield goes back and finds that Max is still alive. That's about it. Connors was cured. He was cured anyway. So his universe probably doesn't change that much.
1: No, not massively. It depends on how you think the spell works. Well, it's not so much the spell. It's more the returning them well no not for the spider-men because the reason that everyone is coming through the portal from all the multiverse is because the people in those multiverses know who peter parker is and that peter parker is spider-man in order to stop that dr strange does the wavy hands thing and goes no one knows peter parker but in order for that to work that's got to happen in the multiverse because it's from the multiverse that they're coming not from the MCU verse. So depending on how you think the intent of the spell works, as is the excuse for the unsnap or whatever we're calling it at the end of Endgame, then when they go back, no one knows who they are. So it depends on how you're thinking the thing works. There's either the intent that by unlinking the original spell to that Peter Parker, that fixes it. Or you say that Everyone in the multiverse had to forget Peter Parker in order to stop them getting drawn through.
0: That'd be horrible for Andrew Garfield. He's like, I'm ready to be Peter Parker again. I want my life back. Hi, Aunt May. Who the hell are you? Uh.
1: Who are you? Oh, MJ and however my family is. For Tobey Maguire, who are you?
0: MJ, Aunt May, it's great to see you. You wouldn't believe the day I've had.
1: Who's this guy? Get out of my house, you strange man. So it depends on how that spell was supposed to work. And I think you could go round and round and round in circles with particular aspects of that thing. And I don't think we will ever receive... Either a satisfactory answer or a full answer on how it works because it's movie magic. Literally movie magic. And it works how the writers intend at that particular moment in time and to hell the consequences for people who are not going to appear on screen again. It's more the side that we're on. I know that it's happened in the comics before in a slightly different way where there was a technological aspect to it as well as the magic side of it and it was if peter revealed his identity again then everyone gets their memory back but there's no explanation of how that works in the mcu version of the rules because otherwise he could have just quickly zipped around everyone including dr strange and his pals that were there and went oh by the way it's me peter and then they all go oh yeah okay peter hi <laughs> <Ta-da>, done <laughs> roll credits
0: that's why it would have been good to see the post-credit scenes be or at least one of the post-credits scenes, be the other two Spider-Man to give a sense of what the world they live in is now like. I never thought about the spell cancelling out the knowledge of Peter Parker being Spider-Man or just Peter Parker in general from the entire multiverse. I took it to mean that when Osborn blew up the container for the spell, it just caused all hell to break loose and anything that was connected to Peter Parker or Spider-Man would come spilling through into the universe. That's what I read from it. I doubt that's right. I doubt that's Wrong. We don't have enough information to make any determination either way, but it would have been quite cool to just see them go back and then have some sense of, okay, things are different here, or things are the same but slightly altered, or what have you. But the spell that Peter allows to happen at the end of this film, that erases all knowledge of him from everyone, obviously affects him in really fundamental ways. And like you say in the comics, what they did was Doctor Strange cast a spell, and then Tony Stark used some. Techno magic to, I guess, wipe all records of Peter Parker's identity from databases and whatever, which would surely have to happen here. Because yeah, let's get into the mechanics of the spell. Now, do people just forget they saw those news reports, or do they just dismiss them when they see them, or do they just immediately forget that they've seen them if they see them again? Because that stuff you can't erase. Well, maybe you can with a magic spell, but my understanding of it is that it's simply the knowledge of Peter Parker. disappears from people's brains and you get a sense of that when he talks to happy at the end when he's asked how did you know me and he says through spider-man and happy says same so people still remember interacting with spider-man in some way i guess May, if she was still alive and happy maybe remembers him being a mascot for the feast center because that will still be the case I suppose. It would just be the knowledge of how that happened will be something that people don't think about. But in the comics, the spell worked that if he was to say unmask in front of someone, they would remember everything that they knew before. And I think the first people he does that with are the Fantastic Four. He unmasks and they're like, oh, hey, Peter, how are you doing? They just immediately regain that knowledge. And so he picks and chooses who he unmasks in front of after that point. And then everybody else just doesn't know. And then if they start to learn, they'll put the information together in different and hilarious ways often. But yeah, you don't get a sense of what this means for him on a mechanical level after this point in this story.
1: It's interesting because like happy is like a key part of that. Oh, I remember you being the mascot at the feast centre. Okay, so how did you get involved in the Feast Centre? I don't know. How did I get involved in the Feast Centre? Why did Tony start donating to the Feast Centre? Why did that one get picked? He's trying to link all those things. Like, does he remember helping Spider-Man in London? Because London still happened.
0: Or taking him to Germany.
1: Taking him to Germany, picking him up when he's there. He just remembers he picked Spider-Man up, but he doesn't know, or he doesn't connect how that works i don't know technology wise again in the comics it was the knowledge that spider-man is peter parker that was deleted so you don't have any of the real life aspect of it it's no one forgets peter parker in the comics Is people can't link the two whereas in this it's oh no peter parker isn't a thing i can't remember if it was yourself that said but peter parker applies for a driving license there is no record of peter parker existing as a person there is no birth certificate there is no database that has him on he's got no school reports or grades or online accounts he doesn't exist
0: see i think all that's still there I think his identity still exists so if you were to look him up you would find him for example if he's applying for college and they contact his school for a reference mm. or whatever then there will be a record that peter parker was at that school and achieved these grades but none of the teachers will remember who he is and it will probably remember this kid he's a genius why do i not remember this kid i don't know or maybe they just absentmindedly just transfer the records
1: yeah, so if you asked Happy, do you remember May's nephew? He would go, yes, I remember her nephew, but not remember that it's Peter. Maybe. I remember me and I I look at pictures in my phone all the time. Oh, look, you're in them. I don't know. Unless you're deleting all of it, how does it not... Oh, it's all right. The spell's very good and very selective. The rule that you've got to use is the same one that they use when the Russos talk about the unsnap or whatever they're calling it. When everyone returned, that the intent of the spell was not just to put them back exactly where they were before but to return them safely, because that was the intent. So if they were mid-air on a flight, they weren't going to appear mid-air and crash to the ground. However, if they were somewhere safe at the moment that they disappeared, and they were somewhere safe at the moment they came back, they would come back exactly where they were, because that was the intent that was behind the spell. So if you apply that to this, then the intent is that no one remembers Peter Parker but Peter Parker can still exist and still be a person and still get about and do things but people can't remember Peter Parker. Like I say, I don't think they're going to come up with hard and fast rules to how this has worked. They'll come up with some memory trigger, like you say in the comics it was the unmasking, with the MCU version for people that he then gets back in contact with. They're either going to have to say that it starts as a blank relationship and he starts from scratch or that there's some trigger that will make them remember or make everything just click back into place, like prolong exposure suddenly they'll start to remember things that were fuzzy will become less fuzzy or if he tries actively to prove i can show you a picture of you and me together what do you see and he holds up a phone and shows the picture and then suddenly they remember because he's pointing at it and he's right next to it or something the brain can't delete that or the magic can't work past that it weakens a spell
0: there'll be a lot of technological evidence of his existence because mj and ned will probably have a contact called peter parker in their phone and if ned was to look at his phone he's i've phoned this guy a lot or here's pictures of him with his mask off and his spider-man costume standing next to me in my phone that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. but you also have to wonder what mj and ned remember about the past few months of their lives or past couple of years of their lives because of how connected they were to peter mj still has the injury on her forehead at the end of the film. Mm -hmm. Peter points it out and she says, oh, it doesn't really hurt anymore. So does she remember helping spider-man because happy remembers spider-man so maybe she remembers helping spider-man but why does she help spider-man things like that when i was watching it the first time it's only with hindsight that i'm thinking about it when i was watching it the first time i was drawn into the emotion of the tragedy of the separation and the loss that peter had Mm. experienced and had given himself that i wasn't thinking about it in that moment so the film did its job in that respect but it's all there for us to unpack now and we are going to get further films with tom holland in this role so we're told so i think the next film will come up with some form of explanation as to how this all works and this was pointed out to me I didn't realize this at the time but at the end of the film when he goes to his little crappy apartment he has a GED study guide I think it's called and apparently in the US that is the test you take that gives you the equivalent of a high school diploma so it seems that he is not finishing high school because I guess no one there remembers him and he's just gonna get the diploma himself through self-study
1: oh right okay well i didn't know that either we're not american so we wouldn't that's interesting so he's not gone back yet yeah.
0: yeah so he hadn't finished high school although i got the impression that he had but i suppose thinking back to when i was leaving school i was getting university acceptance or declines well i hadn't sat my exams yet so maybe it was the same in the united states i don't know american listeners tell us oh, we could ask cat's partner they're american maybe we will and then not add it in because they're not here but never mind but that's what that book is and someone pointed that out to me so that was an interesting thought yeah the mechanics of it interest me but it's not the point the point is the Emotional separation.
1: Oh, yeah. I think it's just a fascinating how I don't want to know how it works, and I want to know how it works at the same time. Like you say, when you watch the film initially, the main thing is that it's the emotional punches that are hitting you. It's them doing their secret handshake for the last time. It's the, Will you tell me again? Will you find me again? Yeah, I will totally. And then you get the moment in the cafe where he sees the hurt that he's caused in the physical sense, I guess, and decides, Actually, no, I'm not. I'm going to let you do your thing, I can see how excited you are for university and everything. Why would I try and do this? Maybe he doesn't know how it works yet. Do you want the first person you try and find me to be MJ? and ned if you don't know what the outcome is i would go and tell flash and see if (laughs) he. who do you go to as your i'm going to do a test reveal here and see how this spell actually works
0: dr strange i guess that would be my first stop
1: yeah i guess my thing is they all wake up on that's not ellis island is it with a statue liberty island liberty island there we go of course it is liberty island (laughs) or captain america island or shield island or whatever they're calling it now that spell goes whoosh and booms out and suddenly all the people on the island there don't know who peter is but peter is still there because he very much has not got a ferry and disappeared off liberty island at that point they all wake up there knowing that they've helped spider-man but not knowing that they've helped peter so they leave with spider-man but spider-man never takes his mask off never reveals who he is Yeah, they don't explain the mechanics of how they get back. He goes and hides and waits for them all to get rescued off the island.
0: Especially when earlier in the film they made a point of how are we going to get to Liberty Island? oh, don't worry, I can make portals. There was the logistical movement aspect that they drew attention to, so I suppose, yeah, I didn't think about it. Again, it's the emotional beats, but then imagine the end of the film had been, okay, here's exactly how the spell works. Here's what happens to Peter <laughs> Parker's school records. Here's what happens to his ID. His passport is still valid because he still exists. It's just people don't remember him.
1: It's a film in itself, mate. I said it would take us three hours if we decided to discuss it. You opened the can of worms, it wasn't me.
0: But if the film had ended with that explanation, that exposition, all of that stuff, we'd be bored by it. And it would be that completely ruined the emotional impact of this ending. And if you're from Peter's perspective, if, yeah, he doesn't really know how it works. And there was that bit where he was walking down the street and he was like, hi, I'm Peter Parker. You don't know me, but how do you explain this to someone? Even though MJ says, I'm going to figure it out. I did it before, I'll do it again. Some stranger walks in from any perspective. If some stranger walked up to you and was like, you don't know me, but I used to know you and then you forgot me. You'd be like, go away from me, you crazy person. You wouldn't believe them, would you?
1: Yeah, but that shows, I mean, the fact that he's studying at home for his high school diploma is kind of a thing of that as well. She said, oh, I'll work it out again yeah but only if you're spending any time with me whatsoever but uh, you're not anymore because i'm not at your school i'm not there
0: there's all that but the emotional impact worked however there's one part of it that didn't necessarily work for me it's the bit where the multiverse is coming through and this this is crazy i don't know what to do i can't stop it and then peter says what if you cast a spell that makes everyone forget me will that work and like, yeah definitely it will don't know how i know that but it definitely will work and i don't know how you immediately got to this but it'll definitely work Fine, we accept that it will definitely work. And then Peter makes that decision in the moment to say, just do it, right? And Strange says, off you go and say goodbye to your friends. You don't have long. And he goes down and he's like, okay, you're going to forget me, blah, blah, blah. What annoyed me about that, and I picked up on it the first time I saw it, I've seen it twice. This is another issue of consent he's brainwashing the world without anyone's consent at this point and that's wrong despite the fact that the universe is coming apart and stuff like that there is a moral problem with that and earlier in the film mj says as i mentioned earlier about three hours ago don't just break the universe come to us first we'll discuss it so what that conversation should have been was guys we have a problem here here's our options none of them are good the best one is probably this What do you think? And then he would have at least got to make that decision with the consent of his two friends, if not the entire world. There's no time to consult the entire world, but it would have been really good to follow that up and have them act as a team in that final moment, make that decision as a unit. And I think that would have been a greater emotional beat. They make that decision together to forget him. And then MJ can still say, come and find us again. Tell us the truth. I'll figure it out anyway. And then he makes that choice not
1: to. I agree with you. I think the way it would have been done better is if he told Doctor Strange, I have an idea, but I need to speak to MJ and Ned first. And Doctor Strange being hurry. And he goes down and he does it and he says, if Doctor Strange is able to do this, you're going to forget me. Is that okay? And that's their goodbye scene. That's the, you're going to forget me and you do all that stuff. I'll figure it out. You do all that there. And then he goes back to Doctor Strange. and goes, I've got this idea will that work? Yes, it'll work. Okay, let's do it. That's the way round instead. Or he gets
0: told his options and they all suck. Mm. You have to choose one of them. Well, your two options are you do this or you let the multiverse pour through and we don't know what that'll do. It'll be madness, I tell you, madness. It'll be madness and it may take an entire other film to fix it. I would have preferred that conversation to be had because they did set it up earlier with the, no, we're a team. We should operate as a team and you should Come to us with this stuff. Just do it. And Peter even says, yeah, absolutely, no problem. I'll do that in the future. And then he doesn't. That stood out to me at the time. But again, the emotional impact still worked. It had the necessary impact. And I really liked Peter standing at May's grave as well, where he talks about losing her. And happy comes from the perspective of, I lost my best friend, a.k.a. Tony Stark, recently as well. And he's wondering about the whole, when they're gone, Is everything they stood for gone as well and Peter's like no you pay it forward you make it count that was a really good conversation as well so Peter Mm. internalising that loss and dealing with his own variable losses that he'd experienced at that point because he ends the film with absolutely nothing it's a really melancholy ending you know he's in his little crappy apartment he makes his really shiny suit you have to assume it's cannibalized from his other suits, including some of the tech maybe. So you'll still have his heads up display and the eyes that move and stuff like that. But he doesn't have stark resources anymore. He's a bit more like the PlayStation game version where he cobbles together his own tech and does his own thing. So I like that that's where we end up with this Spider-Man because my biggest bugbear with the MCU version is the infinite resources he seemed to have. So stripping him back to basics in that respect is good for me, I think. I, I really enjoy that as a concept
1: i'm with you i think it's good that he's now his own self-made character and they leave it in a way where they can go any which way they want with it i I also agree with you i think he probably would cannibalize some of the tech or some of the developments that stark's put into it but what he doesn't have now is the auto fab machine that can push out great looking easy tech he's got to make it himself he's got to do it himself and that's the kid that you were introduced to in civil war who was taking apart old computers to take parts out of the inside that he could use for other stuff and build other things building his own suit making his own thing and then stark comes along with a new shiny, he's still technically capable, that's the thing. They show it in this film that the three of them, the three Peters, are all scientifically brilliant. If they weren't having to go about fighting crime every day, what accomplishments would they have? And like you said earlier on, he's been a captain of industry in the comics at certain points and come up with great inventions and done different things. So,
0: so they've stripped him back to basics. What has effectively happened throughout his MCU career so far is his origin story just a very long way around to it (laughs) and a lot of it with him being known as spider-man before he actually becomes spider-man now he is spider-man in that sense and we haven't got a good look at the new suit yet i don't think they've released any official images of it but apparently he's inspired design wise from the other two spider-men that he meets in the film for design elements so you might see that in the spider and stuff again we didn't really get a good look at it because it's really shiny and it's in the dark
1: so i think that is all on purpose (laughs) If you're using it for a few shots at the end of the film show it in as limited much as possible so that when it comes to the next film people go hang on that isn't the same suit he's made changes or this is what happened, or that isn't what we saw this is but then we, we can't
0: sell twice of it because there's hardly seen we already had three suits in this film we had the red and black one from the last film the inside out red and black one from the last film and the red and black one with a big golden spider on it for some reason
1: oh that was when doc ock put the nanites back in wasn't it
0: yeah but why did they form a logo that didn't make any sense
1: When he ripped the part off the middle of the costume, was it where the logo was? I can't remember. During the I mean, fight I suppose it would have been like a chunk of the nanites off, and then they merged with him. It might have been around about there, but why it would be particularly they would form the logo portion, I don't know. I did like the fact that a lot of the speculation. I mean, we were talking earlier on about all these speculation news things. There was an early model. Of the inside out suit, and people go, Oh, it's runes and it's magical. Because look, there's like gold bit and there's all these uh, motifs through it, and it turns out that's the circuitry. <laughs> I love that. Folk thought that Doctor Strange had given him a magic suit that he was going to be wearing. No, it's his original suit inside out. Did he dye some of it? Was it the hair dye? Was it Doctor Strange's hair dye that was in that scene?
0: Well, it was a goatee template.
1: A goatee template. Is it just right. the joke
0: that Strange's personal grooming is very exact? <laughs>
1: See, I didn't know if they had looked at that as like he was using some sort of hair dye or something. I I need to see it again. That's the stupid stuff that I picked up on my first viewing. I did like the fact that that suit was basically all the circuitry inside it. They
0: released it in the video game as well prior to the release of the film. So I just went on the game and and wore it and then just looked around with the camera so you can see the wires hanging out and stuff like that. And it's got the fatter web shooter, the one that he's using as his little teleportation beam thing as well. Mm. But it was in the video game, as was the as they call it the hybrid suit and it makes sense when you see the film why that is the hybrid suit yeah the, the amount of costumes he wears in these films is ridiculous <laughs> maybe next time we'll just get him back to just want the one costume and they'll probably beef up the one that they put at the end as you say for the next one when they settle on a more final design maybe that will look a bit better because the glossy look when i first saw the costume i was like mm, don't know about this but i imagine they'll fix it whenever it comes back
1: yeah, it made me think more of like a leotard-type material or something when I saw it on the thing, because it's like that glossy kind of thing.
0: He probably fished it out the bins of a f- clothes shop or something, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's parts and outfits that he's put together, so I'm fine. It was in there for a quick thing at the very, very end. The cosplayers and everything will be annoyed that there's no clean shots of it so that they can create that outfit. There will be soon enough, though. I'm sure at some point, wherever he appears next...
0: Or just when they can do HD screen caps of it in the near future Mm. whenever they release it. Yeah, so as for Peter Parker's next foray in the MCU, it's been all but confirmed that Tom Holland will command a substantial pay increase and will appear... In three other solo films, they might do another trilogy. That trilogy, who knows what will happen in it, but it may end up setting up Miles Morales. It could result in the conclusion to his arc, or the the conclusion to his career as Spider-Man or passing the torch in some way, we don't know. But it seems like he's coming back. And the end of the film could have been a good separation point for him in the mcu as in spider-man's still out there but you'll never see him again and then he can have other adventures that aren't connected to the mcu because everybody's forgotten him so that's fine but that's not what's happening because sony for some reason really like money and realize that this film made a billion dollars in the middle of a pandemic or the end of a pandemic depending who you ask and They want to make another billion dollars, so why not continue this association with Marvel? Because that is how you make a billion dollars, funnily enough. So don't do it again. And the next film, I would quite like to see that bit I talked about with the Andrew Garfield arc, the separation of his personal life. He works as like a delivery driver or something like that just to pay the bills. Not a pizza delivery driver, we don't want it to be exactly the same, but he does some menial job to pay the bills and then he spends the rest of the time as Spider-Man. He has no personal life, he's isolated from everything and then maybe you get a character like Black Cat in who draws him down that life because in the comics Black Cat is only interested, or at least initially was only interested in Spider-Man, not the civilian Peter Parker side. So she could be the one encouraging that blanket of the night type life that he's already leading. And the film could be about him reclaiming his personal life or establishing a new personal life and starting to
1: heal. That's a good pitch. You've got me so. That's it. We'll watch that. Like I said earlier on, I would like for the outcome of this film to be consequence and not for it to be unwritten immediately. I get that if you can have Zendaya in your movie, you want to have Zendaya in your movie. I get that. Part of why we watch these films is because of the relationship between the three characters, Ned, MJ and Peter, and that interaction. However, I would like for the outcome of this film to be, I'm going to see how I handle being by myself. And it might be that the outcome of that film is, I need my friends. It could be that he realises that he needs them or that they need him or any. Which way you want to do that, then you can have them reunited. But I would rather that, at least for the majority of his next outing, that this has had consequence. That it hasn't been undone off-screen or gets undone right at the beginning. I do want to see that having an impact. But I, I trust them after managing to pull this off, which is on paper an almost impossible task managing to pull this film off i've got faith that they can do something really really well with it and really good and it means that we get peter parker and spider-man playing in the sandbox with all the marvel toys which I like. I think it's where the character belongs. <laughs> it's one of those things. Yeah, he should be in there with all those other characters. I don't want him to be any shadowverse. I'm glad that my prediction for the outcome of this film was wrong. Delighted that I was wrong. I
0: suppose it was right in a way because they could have divorced him from the MCU just through no one knows who he is anymore and we're just not going to mention this connection ever again in any future films.
1: Yeah, he's been put in his own multiverse via the power of memory and everyone forgetting rather than being in a little shadow verse of what was. My outcome that I was expecting was that, oh, what if you put me in my own little multiverse thing and stop all this coming back or whatever?
0: What if I moved to Venom's universe? No, that's a really bad idea.
1: Yeah, what if I ended up over here with all of the villains and the, what did they call it? It was the Sony universe of Spider-Man characters, or it was something along those lines. The connected universe of Spider-Man adjacent (laughs) characters, apart from Spider-Man, or whatever they were calling it.
0: I think it's Sony Pictures' universe of Marvel characters, Spunk,
1: I think was what they went it by. Spunk. Lovely. I knew it had a catchy title.
0: Spunk. I think it may have changed, but
1: yes that was what it was yeah i wonder why i was glad to be wrong i I think the outcome means that they can go any which way they want they can pull characters in and out of knowing his identity as they need it doesn't need to be anything grand and spectacular (laughs) spectacular spectacular tom holland has been pretty honest about his desire to not be permanently playing peter parker he does want an out at some point so it'll be interesting to see what they do. I think at some point they've got to introduce Miles Morales. Or someone, yeah. Or someone, an alternate. Spider Gwen.
0: <laughs> Gwen Stacy is in this universe and she's a spider.
1: Any of those options that you want to throw out, yeah. Or there's multiple clones. There's, again, multiverse of spider man out there that you can pull in if you so desire or future spider-men that get sent back in time all sorts of different weird stuff that they can do if they want i would like to see a live action miles morales Uh, there's no denying that and i would like to see them inside the mcu again getting to play with the full toy box like tom holland's had the chance well he
0: does exist in the mcu he's mentioned in the first film when donald glover the prowler is like i've got a nephew
1: around here yeah it's my nephew miles he's been mentioned but that's not what i mean
0: <laughs> no i get what you're talking about
1: yeah i'll give them points for saying that the character exists or the name exists but yeah that's not quite what i mean i think it would be notable if they didn't mm-hmm. as much as i've done that animated stuff i think there would be a big fan pressure to hang on, you've done how many of these films now and you've not gone down that line? Is there a reason?
0: I'm still stuck on my Black Cat pitch. I think it's high time we saw that character in live action. She does appear in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, sort of. Felicity Jones plays Felicia Hardy in that movie. Or just Felicia, I don't know if her surname's ever mentioned. But she's in that movie. She doesn't become Black Cat, obviously. And she was cut out of the script of Spider-Man 2. She was supposed to be in that as well, but they got rid of her. And she appears in the game because the game is based on kind of an earlier version of the script and whatever, so she's still there. And she's appeared in so much media, but she never appears in live action. And I do think if Peter is struggling to deal with nobody knowing who Peter Parker is, and it's just so easy for him to separate himself from that side of his life because he doesn't have any relationships, her Drawing him into the Spider-Man side of his life, encouraging him to let that consume him would be interesting. I also think it'd be a great opportunity to team him up with Daredevil because Spider-Man movies always have him teaming up with a Marvel character, so why not Daredevil? Then you can bring Fisk in and Fisk can hire different villains because we've got Fisk back as of Hawkeye, so that's cool. So let's do all that. Let's fully embrace the Netflix adjacency that they are slowly reintroducing and play with
1: that i'm with you on that i agree and all those characters are more street level character I'd love to see Black Cat in there. I would love to see him interacting with Daredevil. Or maybe that is a way of exploring the memory-erasing magic. It's a character who finds out his identity again. I don't know. That, I think, would be an interesting way of going with it. I think there's a lot of possibilities. They've left the door open for pretty much anything that they want to do. I guess it's more along the lines of whatever the guest-starring films are as well and how they handle it because a lot of spider-man's introduction or tom holland's introduction was as a character in civil war Now his introduction wasn't a standalone spider-man so his next appearance might be in a another marvel project property so it'll be interesting to see how they handle any of that because i'm assuming it's a long way off before we're getting another one of these A couple of years for sure, yeah. It's going to be a good few years because the director is rumoured to be or is working on the Fantastic Four, isn't that right? He definitely is, yeah. Yes, okay. Assuming that they're getting the same creatives and all that, it's going to be a little bit off so presumably he's going to appear in another Marvel property before he appears in his own solo stuff. Whether that's the right way around or not is debatable.
0: Well, he still has one team-up film on the current contract, so that'll happen at some point. Like you say, who knows what that'll be. Remember, there were rumours that he was going to appear in Hawkeye because that's set around Christmas, and this is set around Christmas. Are they set around the same Christmas, though? We don't know. There's no mention of the Statue of Liberty being damaged in Hawkeye so probably not.
1: I think we went round in circles the other day when we were trying to work out the timeline between the two projects. That was a long debate and listeners you'll be glad to hear that we did not solve it and you will not hear it here.
0: (laughs) I'm sure there's an official timeline somewhere that Marvel maintains so it'll it'll become clear at some point.
1: Yeah it's in the TVA that's where it is.
0: Where were the TVA? They should be all over this. There's three Spider-Men here. The universe is coming apart what's going on here let's fix this so spider-man next we don't know but there's plenty of options quick bit on the action we've talked a lot about it already although there's one specific point i did want to address because it's something a couple of people have said to me we had the bridge sequence we had the sequence in the condo and we had the climactic sequence at the cgi warehouse representing the statue of liberty a couple of people have said to me that They found the locations very, very boring, and apparently that's a massive issue. But my rebuttal to that is, where do you expect Spider-Man to be fighting? He's ostensibly a street-level hero. He's going to be fighting on places like highway bridges and construction
1: yards and whatever else i don't get that argument he did a fight in the friggin mirror dimension that was pretty cool and interesting looking for a fight scene i know we sort of crossed it earlier on so that was like a really interesting dynamic thing you could argue that there was a weird one in there which was the middle of the friggin woods that was a little bit of an odd yeah so i've swung my way all the way out here what's going on oh it's a sand guy such a random place if it had been a substation or something i'd understood but that was like a random fight in the woods the statue of liberty one it was a scaffolding set thing so okay i guess when folks say oh it should be somewhere more exciting it's like okay but where where are you expecting it to be what set would you like to throw him on i get it last time he was doing the europe tour and he was going about London landmarks and was it Venice that he was in as well? Venice that he was swinging about? Yeah. Oh, it's it's more cool and more interesting, more globe-trotty. It's like, yeah, but that's not. And I think I said this on that podcast as well. That's not really what Spider-Man does. It's the local friendly neighborhood Spider-Man who's swinging about New York. So it's New York skyscrapers and dark alleys and warehouse units and creepy looking abandoned shops and stuff like that that he's fighting in a lot of the time. And then the Scenes get more interesting where he's higher up and you can see the New York skyline. That's how all the Spider-Man stuff works. In the past, for example, Electro and Times Square, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man movies, great place to put Electro. Of course it would be Times Square. Why would you not do it that way? That's exactly where you would put it. But they did it in the amazing spider-man so if they were just to replicate it again they would be accused of oh you're just playing off the same why
0: is he luring all the villains to Times square as well
1: (laughs) yeah why would he lure the villains to Times square or but you could have had electro appear in Times square when he first appears i wouldn't lure him there for the thing the whole idea is that he's taking them out to the island so they're out the way and they can't cause anyone any harm so he wouldn't do that in the family but you could have had him appear there and there would have been an excuse for it but then it's yeah that was visually good the first time round so how are you going to jazz it up for this and you're just going to be accused of doing the same scene again or the same setting again by the same people who are accusing you of having boring staging I don't quite get it I think if they make the fight and everything engaging enough then I don't really mind and there's other films that are doing really interesting takes stuff like the bus fight from shang for example that we raved about in that podcast they are going out and they are doing different stuff in other films and again remember this is being shot during pandemic during lockdown rules during cross-contamination rules where building sets and doing certain things was restricted so i'm um, very forgiving considering everything that they put on screen was brilliant really it's that same motorway junction that gets used all the time or highway junction that gets used all the time in those like the doc ock fight for example (laughs) i'm trying to remember there's one is it on the outskirts of LA? But it's basically that they started building a highway and then ran out of money, so there's like this section that they can always use for movies because (laughs) it's never driven on it's a bit like there's a bridge to nowhere in the middle of Glasgow, which is very similar, it's this bridge over the M8 that just ends because they didn't finish it, (laughs) it's a street, it's a road, it's a six lane highway that you can close off you can film on, looks like a proper highway because it is, and causes no traffic congestion or problems with permits so it gets used all the time and that is why people sometimes go oh always looks the same because they're using (laughs) yeah Yeah.
0: i think i would have liked the climactic sequence to take place during the day though rather than at night because i really wanted to get a good look at the spider-man suits and the villains and what have you the fact that it was at night sometimes made it a little bit too hard to follow it wasn't impossible to follow but it would have been nice to have it during the day Maybe that would have enhanced people's thoughts about it.
1: I would agree that certain parts of it, I lost track of which Spider-Man was doing what and who was there. Apart from like when they would dub the voices in, and you'd be, like, "Oh right, okay, it's that one," and he's going up to that one, and it was, you know, I would kind of lose track occasionally. I'm going to guess at the excuse and the reason for it being nighttime is the cg is easier to hide in the dark <laughs> that is probably why because like you're saying oh i want to have a proper good look at the suit and everything in the light yeah that means he's got to fight the lizard and they're all wearing cgi costumes in the light it's gonna look
0: nasty the sun was coming up at the end when he was fighting osborne on the shield and that was really cool that looked great and i like how he was just pummeling osborne because he just wanted to kill him and we've already talked about the moment he realizes he's shouldn't do that it needs to be better That it's what we do moment but yeah that was great I think it's something we could say about a lot of blockbusters Yeah, can we just have some action during the day please or at least in better lighting because unless you are in an IMAX screen you're going to struggle to see what's going on some of the time I think the climax of this is guilty of that I still loved it I still think it looked great and it was great seeing the three Spider-Men especially that shot where they all land sequentially I think that looked great and it pauses for a beat so you can see all three of them just ready to go I suppose they do it in the dark so that Electro's particle effects can shine a bit brighter maybe that's what it is
1: yeah it's more difficult to do that in the daylight it is a bit of hiding cg hiding things that they need to do in the background rendering water all that sort of stuff that they've got to do if they're doing it in the light as opposed to in a warehouse unit somewhere or multiple warehouse units in multiple places potentially as well and trying to hide all that so i completely understand it and again the visual effects people and everything like that are all working from home or working from limited locations as well so it's another element in there where they go right we're going to make it easier and do it this way i didn't mind it i think i was engaged in everything that was going on on the screen so the locations that were behind them i didn't
0: mind as much it doesn't bother me because i'm thinking Spider-Man fighting in this location makes sense to me. If he was in some big, lavish, otherworldly location, but like, what's he doing here?
1: Why is he here? Both of us watch the CW shows, which all appear to happen in the same warehouse all the time. So we're used to it. <laughs> Maybe we've just become accustomed to it. If they take it out of the warehouse, I'm sitting there going, hang on, no, this isn't right. This isn't how you do this fight. Get back to the warehouse. I don't like they this. Go back to the warehouse, the dark alley in that one dockyard you use. Go, go, <laughs> do it. <laughs> Where's that one street you have that represents the whole city? where is it (laughs) yeah that one street go back (laughs) there you're using this from a different angle no 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 that's unacceptable to me
0: (laughs) but there you go anybody that thought the locations are boring or were wondering what we thought of the fact that some people think the locations are boring there we go that's what we think of it
1: Consider the matter closed
0: yeah that's it no more to be said on it so let's finish off on the post-credit scene that contains tom hardy's venom I don't think we've got much else to say about the <laughs> overall film, but the post-credits scene bafflingly has Tom Hardy's Venom, who is in the MCU and is just sitting getting wasted while hearing about what's going on in this universe. And he's just baffled by everything he sees or everything he hears about. It's actually a very good scene. It's very funny. And I had a thought about it from a metatextual level. So Venom 2, spoilers for Venom 2, or Venom, let there be carnage. The post credit scene there has... Eddie Brock and Venom, played by Tom Hardy, transplanted into the MCU. They see Spider-Man on a TV screen and Venom has a glimmer of recognition for some reason. We don't find out why that is in this credit scene or in that one, but that is there. From a meta point of view, it's almost like Sony are saying, we can make these films and you can't do anything about it, Marvel, even though these are characters you should technically own, but we're going to move our character into your universe and he can stay there and he can interact to those people. And then Kevin Feige gets involved and says, (laughs) no, you're not. You can have him back because the scene ends with him just going back to his own universe, (laughs) presumably when Doctor Strange casts the spell and he disappears. So it's almost like, do you want our character? Nah, but we'll keep the black goo, thanks. We'll do something with
1: that. Yeah, we can play with that later. I loved the way that they did that. I really, really do, because at the end of Venom 2, they do the crossover, and you're like, oh my god, he's going to be in Spider-Man. Oh, they've crossed him over, he's into the MCU. This could be them pulling the character over and doing all that. And it was only when they did the post-credits of No Way Home that I sat there and went, oh yeah, he got pulled over. <laughs> he got taken. Why though? <laughs> over. I forgot he got there, and it just turns out that he's been sitting there, getting caught up with a bartender, telling him all the stuff that oh, you've got all these heroes over here, and you've got all this going on, and there's a guy that did that, and he took out half the. W-. That's incredible, and what just people just disappeared where they were, and for I me, mean, and then he disappears. I love without that. paying his tab without paying his tab, if I was the bartender I would be worried that the snap had just happened again. You've been in a world where half the population <laughs> disappeared and this one guy the only guy in your bar 50% of you has just left. I'd be calling up all my relatives on the spot to make sure that everyone was there. I would have played that a bit more in it maybe but I thought that was a great play by them because they get all the speculation you were talking earlier on about marketing and stuff. You get all the speculation of oh Venom's over there now and all that news at all that stuff at the back end of Venom and it turns out, nope, he's just here so that we can do a gag and send him back again. Made me laugh a lot.
0: Well, apparently Venom was supposed to be involved in the end action sequence at some point in the film's development. It just didn't happen. Maybe pandemic scheduling meant that they couldn't have Tom Hardy kicking about or what have you. I don't know what the reasoning would be, but that was reportedly it. But that wouldn't really make any sense. It would make more sense for Topher Gracie's Venom to turn up because of the connection to peter parker he doesn't obviously i don't know how you'd fix him because he was already an arsehole so how would you fix that sure you can separate him from the symbiote but he's still a bad person
1: yeah you would need to have eddie brock getting pulled over there not understanding what's going on thinking it's been done to him venom having some sort of vengeance thing against spider-man for whatever multiversey reasons that venom has a vengeance against spider-man and then it being kind of resolved in a team up by then but again i think it would just be too much because you've got to try and do justice to all these characters and as we've said already they didn't do justice to all the villains because some of them were just there to fill out numbers and considering it's doing so well and is so popular i don't think you would want venom to be one of those you wouldn't want to, oh yeah, we've just thrown them in for the number. So using them as a post-credits joke kind of is more fitting in this case than not doing justice in the main film. So I'm glad they did what they did. I mean, we've already discussed how they don't have space for other villains in here or random extra villains, so I think they would have struggled to justify it. I think the way we've described everything else that we would like in this film, so not only have we created a new film at the beginning, so that's an entire film that we've created at the beginning i think we're almost stretching this one film into two films so that would be three films (laughs) that we've commissioned (laughs) and we've already worked on the sequel so we're up to four films that we're making so we'd be very expensive for some (laughs) maybe we wouldn't make them all the money but we'd be very expensive because we're putting everything out there but
0: we'd enjoy it and that's all that matters
1: it would either be one film of Snyder proportions or it would be four films
0: instead we have a podcast of Snyder proportions
1: yeah we do it in this form instead.
0: I am surprised they would allow an offshoot of the Venom symbiote to remain in the MCU because it runs the risk of, what if they make a better Venom than ours?
1: (laughs) That's that's certainly a possibility. You're leaving a bit of Venom there as a possibility. It doesn't mean that they're going to use it or use it instantly or do anything
0: the next film might be the black suit story or a riff on the black suit story it could
1: be along those lines i kind of hope not you've left it there as a tease that you could possibly do it i think if they're doing their own venom films and they're all doing very very well i don't think they would particularly run off and go oh yeah we're now going to try and pull and do a venom thing over here as much as i would love to see it potentially i don't think that's the one that they should prioritize maybe down the line do it somewhere I think we'll get it
0: at some
1: point but yeah not to turn this into a venom podcast now that we've created all these other podcasts out of it but your thing that you could do they build very heavily on the relationship between eddie and venom and now this version of venom has been separated once again from eddie against his will and wanting to try and find him and then taking his revenge on spider-man for doing whatever the hell spider-man's done to him he doesn't know yet that's your reason for him going to look for peter parker going to look for spider-man although
0: in let them i keep wanting to say let them eat cake
1: (laughs) venom let them eat cake yes that's my kind of let
0: them eat carnage which is actually what happens at the end of the film spoiler but in let there be carnage when Venom reproduced, it created a different symbiote entirely. So I don't see it creating just another Venom or the same Venom but in another universe kind of thing. Surely it's just a new symbiote.
1: Well, see, I just thought that a glob of Venom would remember what Venom remembers.
0: But that's what Carnage was. It was it was a piece of him that separated and then became its own thing remember so that's how the symbiotes reproduce, essentially by mitosis they separate see i didn't think of it as a child i
1: thought of it as a thing but yeah that makes sense
0: it's an offspring rather than a child i don't know what the best real world analogy for it is but certainly i'm not even drawing on comic knowledge here in the film when cletus cassidy bites eddie's finger and gets a bit of the symbiote as a result that piece of the symbiote grows into a new life form a new symbiote no you're right so unless this one's like yeah I'll just call myself Venom 2 it's fine and there's a Venom as well not Venom 2 maybe he will call
1: himself Venom 2 it is I Venom 3, Venom three Yeah. into the MCU <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a suggestion that Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker lives in the Venom universe that's the same universe but I've seen no evidence for that either way so there's nothing to go on there really but yeah Venom it happened and I do like the idea of Sony trying to force Venom into the MCU and then the MCU just kicking him back. It's like, we don't want this. Keep it. Have him see what with Morbius or something. We don't care. Just have him back. We don't want this one. This is not what we're after. So do you have any final thoughts, wrap-up thoughts, on Spider-Man No Way Home that you want to share before we
1: wrap up i am sure there's probably something but this podcast has been long enough it's epic <laughs> so, epic in scope i am very epic in scope i am going to say that i have probably covered everything that i should say on a podcast at this time <laughs> and if i've forgotten it and if you're screaming at your podcast playing device of choice why did you not mention something we apologize let us know in the comments
0: and then we'll do another one when the blu-ray comes we'll out we'll a return here we are for another four hours on Spider-Man No Way Home.
1: Settle in. I might be off sick That then. To <laughs> Me let you
0: know too. Someone cast a spell and I forgot that this film ever existed. And then I could watch it for the first time and not know that Andrew Garfield's in it and be happy.
1: That's the answer to the spoiler question, isn't Erase it? Erase my memory before going in. Before you go into every film, someone erases your memory of the film.
0: Or erases my memory of the marketing. <laughs> then what are your final statements on No Way Home, if there's... Nothing else to cover.
1: Closing statements. I really enjoyed this. I cannot highlight enough. I've talked about it in this podcast, and you've talked about it in this podcast, the experience of going to see this on the big screen with a busy audience as much as it was equally terrifying during a pandemic. The audience reaction, being there on the big screen, getting to see this with a crowd that were all really, really hyped for it, really ready for this film was just fantastic. It was a great night out for us to go out and do it and I came away with a right buzz after this film. Yes, it has its flaws. Yes, it has its many bits that you can knit and pick. Which we did. Which we did extensively, but overall it's just such a fun film. It's a really fitting Spider-Man film and I just forward to seeing where they go with it next. Yeah.
0: The last bit I wanted to crowbar in, we did talk a bit about Willem Dafoe before, but I really wanted to highlight the performance before the condo fight and around that as well, where he transitions to the meek Norman Osborn persona and then... When the goblin persona asserts itself again, you get that scene where Peter's spider sense goes off and he's wandering around, wondering where it is and what's triggering it. And then he fires the webbing and sticks his hand to the wall or sticks his hand to something. It was a really great moment. Willem Dafoe's duality to that performance. I think there might be issues with... Essentially his schizophrenia gets cured, which is weird because the suggestion is that the goblin serum just brought out something that was already there under the surface rather than it being something to be killed off or defeated. But again, we don't have enough information as to the extent of a psychosis to go into that. And the goblin persona is just this destructive force that needed to be rid. But I love the way that he shifted his performance in that moment and you know the laugh and you see his face extend the crazy look in his eyes i thought it was great and then the goblin costume later on which is we don't need the crappy power rangers mask his face is more than scary enough he'll just wear a hood and it'll be fine and a blade on his suit and whatever to stab toby mcguire with
1: yeah i think i said it earlier on but yeah what a performance i think i mentioned it at the beginning when we were talking about how you try and put rivals to these characters on screen but yeah it was just fantastic performance really really well done just that moment needed to be addressed i think totally agree with you getting rid of the goblin mask he can pull a face that is scary enough you almost make it look worse by putting the mask on or a lot worse by putting the mask on so yeah so well done so good
0: anyway my wrap-up thoughts are loved the film loved seeing it in the cinema loved seeing it in the cinema the second time i really liked seeing andrew garfield in particular back toby Maguire as well love all those films i don't love all those films the andrew garfield films in particular i love the first one do not love the second one but anyway loved that version of the character loved seeing them both back and want to see them again let's hope we get them again at some point in some capacity money talks so you never know really good film emotional beats hit really well it was great seeing the villains come back great seeing the growth of peter parker great seeing him end on a self-made spider-man bruce springsteen working class hero type note i want to see how that develops so yeah really enjoyed it really looking forward to getting it on blu-ray and stuff so i can just sit and watch it a few more times so yeah spider-man no way home would recommend if you haven't seen it and have listened to us pick it apart for four hours then more fool you but go see it if you haven't and enjoyed this conversation so that was our conversation about spider-man no way home i would like to thank neil stenson for the supplied music chris thank you for joining for this really long conversation to get this out of our systems
1: thank you very much it's been building up for a while
0: it has been for at least a month if you like what you heard here then please do hit subscribe on spotify apple podcasts or any major podcasting app this film would tell you that three is a magic number but what is our magic number for a rating and a comment on apple Podcasts, chris
1: five is the magic number
0: five is a magic number which is not the song but it is our magic number please leave us a in a comment. If you want to talk about Spider Man or anything else, then you can get us on Facebook and Twitter under Neil Before Blog or leave a comment under new Before But we hope you join us next time on Neil Before Pod. <laughs>